Hi, I'm Jen. I'm Sophia. And I'm Steve. And you're listening to Every Rom-Com, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedies seriously. This week on Every Rom-Com, we're headed back to high school in the 1950s to hang out with the Pink Ladies and the T-Birds. We'll talk about the careers of director Randall Kleiser and actors John Travolta and Stockard Channing. And we'll discuss peer pressure, gender roles in dating, and ways in which this movie both is and isn't feminist as we dig into the 1978 musical sensation, Grease. So, Sophia, Steve, I'm so glad to be back with both of you. Yeah, hi, Jen. It's been a while. And Steve, hello. Really nice to meet you, Sophia. And Jen, yeah, thank you very much for, for having me back. It's great to, um, yeah, finally get back to, to recording this episode, which has been long awaiting, I feel. Yeah. Uh, so if, if you're not aware, listeners, I, Jen, have just gotten a new job in a new city. So our high school series kind of got delayed by my move to a new town and my return to full-time work at a library here. So it's been a lot, but I'm really glad to get back to podcasting again. And we're not going to be podcasting perhaps as regularly as we used to, but I will try to get us at least an episode or two out each month. And it's it's kind of a sad loss to not be as regular as we once were, but these things do happen. But your your job sounds very exciting and, you know, a little shifting around, doing all the things, just shifting around a little bit. Yeah, you just got to fit everything in kind of as you need. I, yeah, I'm, I'm exactly the same. I find kind of working full time, it's it's hard to, um, to, yeah, do the podcast stuff as much as you want to, but um, you're so good at it. I'm sure you'll be, you'll fit it in just right. Well, that's very nice of you, Steve. So if you haven't heard from Steve before, uh, Steve has been on our show before. He was on our Groundhog Day episode, and he also has his own podcast. For me, these films are the juice. And I was really excited to have him come on this show because he specifically said he wanted to talk Greece with us. And I'm really intrigued. I mean, we'll get into like your opinion about that later, Steve, but I'm really intrigued that Greece was a film that you came on to do like just briefly can you tell us why this was a film you wanted to come back to our podcast for Greece is a funny one I I I, I don't know what it was I, I can't remember what age I was must have been around about 10 11 maybe something like that and I, I watched it constantly like I recorded it on old VHS when it was on the TV and I just was fascinated I had a similar thing with the Blues Brothers as well it must be a musical kind of thing but I would um yeah, I just watched it on just on repeat constantly and just like sing along, learn the words. Um, I remember I was staying at um, I was staying at my auntie's house in um, in the summer, and <laughs> I, remember, I specifically remember my cousin walking in the front room and going, "Steve, are you watching Grace again?" Uh, like that. Just um... <laughs> so yeah, I just I just always remember being um, just really fascinated and just really enjoying it. You know, it's such a I think it's such a different world from um you know Plymouth England and such a different time and stuff it was just yeah I just I just always really enjoyed it it's very it's very fascinating to me yeah and I was going to ask you um a little bit about how the worlds are different like when you got to high school eventually like how was the high school kind of world that we see in Greece different than your high school life in the UK 
correct me if I'm wrong on, on anything I say here, but I'm pretty sure you guys um, go to high school until you're 18. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So we don't really have high school. We have um, primary, uh, nursery, primary school. You go to secondary school when you're 11 and you stay there until you're 16. And then you can either carry on education or go into work kind of thing. I think it's changed slightly now. So when I used to watch high school movies, you know, it's usually about seniors in high school. So, you know, they're 18 years old. They can drive. Um, they over here in, in the UK, we all wear uniforms going to school. You're always just wearing kind of your own clothes. Um, seems a lot more freedom. Things are a lot more, uh, always seem a lot more glamorous, I suppose. Maybe that's just the <laughs> Americanization of things. And uh, yeah, just kind of, you know, everyone's a bit more kind of grown up, access to more things. I remember when I watched American Pie and one of the things I picked out from it, you know, the scene where he sets up the, the webcam for the girl who's getting changed in his room. And I remember just saying, oh, they all have the internet. They all have computers. That's not that's not real life, you know. And at the time, the internet was, you know, very, very new. And I'm like, what? We don't. I don't know anyone who's got their own PC at home and stuff. Um, so yeah, it was just. It always seems just very, kind of, um, yeah, a bit more ahead of the times, I suppose. And yeah, a lot more freedom for people, and a lot more, um, yeah, just uh, allowed to do their own thing a bit more, I suppose. Yeah, I think the latter part about being allowed to do your own thing is probably accurate. The glamour part, I think it's also just a function of the movies. You know what I'm is. saying? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Definitely. My impression of like high school life in the UK, I gotta say, like, I think the only thing I've seen is maybe the in-betweeners. So <laughs> Yeah, but that's what I was I was talking um about it earlier and I was like, I was trying to think of a um of an English secondary school film. And I couldn't, I could, I, there's an old film called Gregory's Girl set in Scotland um, mm-hmm. in the 80s. There was that St. Trinian's film back in like 2007, 2008. Um, that was like based on a comic strip. So uh, most of the stuff from, from over here is like you say, TV stuff. There was an old show called Grange Hill when I was growing up. Um, Skins. Uh, oh, yeah. Rush, okay. and, and more recently, kind of like Derry Girls and Sex Education yeah, on right, Netflix. Right. Um but but yeah, I couldn't really think of any of any films that were um, similar to um, some the amount of because when I was when I was growing up, it was all the time. You know, she's all that. Ten things I hate about you. <laughs> yeah. Um, always constant like high school movies coming out and stuff. You know, and also I think maybe over here, just generally, we don't have the um, because high like, things like high school football and stuff are, are mm. huge over there. Feeding system into colleges and stuff. We don't have that as much over here, I don't think. So sure. the whole kind of jocks, cheerleaders, nerds, that kind of thing, um, yeah, aren't as kind of defined over here, I guess. Interesting. So you don't feel like there's a sense of cliquishness per se, or is it just divided along different lines? Then I think probably divided along different lines, really. Um, and uh, and obviously you got more of a I suppose there's you know there's more sense of a class system over here in the class, UK generally yeah. as well so you have kind of I know you have like kind of private schools in in America as well but things like boarding schools and um, grammar schools secondary schools um, there's more of a, a little bit of a kind of class system that that still exists over over here I guess um, hmm. so so yeah those are kind of the main differences I think. So, Steve, I wanted to know also, like, what's going on with, for me, these films of the juice? Like, I know you had a, quite a long hiatus as well for a while. So we've both we've both come back from hiatuses. Yeah, so I, I took about a year, actually, um, uh, without doing anything. And I think that was just, I, I was just a little bit kind of fried with everything else in, in general going on, um, kind of privately and stuff. But, um, yeah, so I did a, an episode recently with Wayne G from 
recast the 2.0 podcast um so we did a recast of a few good men um so that was my most recent episode that's about a month ago now and um yeah so at the minute i'm more just kind of thinking of ideas to um uh, kind of four episodes i did listen back to one of my episodes i did which was a comparison between there will be blood and no country for old men because i haven't done a, a solo episode in a long time so i was thinking about maybe doing doing one of those as well just to kind of get my kind of juices flowing a bit more pardon excuse the pun um (laughs) um, uh, yeah but i think this time what i'm going to do is just not put myself under too much pressure with it so i'll I'll kind of when i got a good idea i'll i'll kind of just do it in my own time and and um and get it out there you know so maybe a little bit more sporadic definitely not as long as a year next time but um yeah not put myself under pressure with deadlines too much i don't think Nice. Sounds that sounds like a good plan, and I'm gonna Thank try you. to do the same with this podcast too. But Please do. Please. I pro I probably should like set myself a somewhat regular schedule though, because we got a couple more high school movies to finish. Um, and Valley Girl and Bill and Ted's are coming up hopefully soon. And yeah, we've got then I still want to do those LA movies. So I got I got always plans. Too many plans and too little <laughs> life, really. Right. Oh. <sighs> So, so Steve, um, where can people find your podcast so they can listen to some um, back episodes and get prepared for some new episodes coming up? Yeah, sure. So um, I suppose probably the main place to, to find, um, for me, these films of the juice is on um, Spotify, but you can find it anywhere. So it's on, um, it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Uh, yeah, most of the um, information about the podcast will be on uh, Twitter, on social media. So you can find me at these films are the juice and that's the films are the juice R is uh, the letter R. Nice. And I will put all this information in the show notes as well. And you should also definitely listen to the episode of Groundhog Day that Steve was on, because I think it's like one of our like top three or five episodes that we've ever done. Like, seriously, we had so much fun. I and really we, we doing that. It was great. And it was very informative about the movie and Groundhogs. So just. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I learned a lot about Groundhogs. <laughs> anyway. Okay. I guess we should get going. So before we get started today, a few notes. First, as usual, there will be a spoiler free section at the beginning of the episode. And we will warn you when the spoilers are about to start. We'd also like to remind you that you can follow the podcast on social media. Our Facebook page is Every Romcom Podcast and Blog. Our Instagram is at Every Romcom. Our Twitter handle is at Every Romcom Pod. And you can also now find us on Blue Sky at Every Romcom. And as always, you can find the podcast at everyromcom.com. Send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And finally, if you'd like to help support the show financially, we are always grateful to people who visit our Buy Me A Coffee page at buymeacoffee.com slash everyromcom. All donations go towards producing our show, and it really does make a difference. And now let's listen to the trailer for Grease. John. Greece, the Broadway smash that made theatrical history by becoming one of the longest-running musical comedies of all time, breaks loose on the motion picture screen. John Travolta, 
the sensational star of Saturday Night Fever ignites the screen in Greece. And he does it all with Olivia Newton-John in her motion picture debut. John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John explode across the motion picture screen in Greece, the movie filled with more song, more dance, more of everything that makes a great musical unforgettable. All right, we'll cut the trailer right there. <laughs> what do y'all think? All those little bits that they play. I'm like, yep, that funny line. Yeah, that it's. I would want to see it still. I just love that they. It's just like Olivia Newton John, John Travolta. Like oh, it's yeah. clear that like they were really like leaning on those two stars to sell the picture. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, so um, basic information about Greece. So Greece was released on June 13th, 1978. It was directed by Randall Kleiser, and it was written by Bronte, Woodard, and Alan Carr, and it was based on the original music musical by Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey. Um, as you heard in the uh, trailer, it starred Olivia Newton-John, uh, John Travolta, Stockard Channing, and Jeff Conaway. So, yeah, big stars. The The film begins as Danny and Sandy are at the beach enjoying a summer romance, though Sandy is about to move back to Australia with her family. Um, and big surprise, Sandy doesn't go back to Australia with her family. And though neither of them realize it, she and Danny are both entering their senior year at Rydale High School. And somehow Sandy and Frenchie are friends. Where did they meet? Um, <laughs> instead of letting himself be happy about Sandy's unexpected um, stay, Danny decides he needs to play it cool to preserve his reputation as a member of the greaser gang, the T-Birds. And Sandy is very upset at the change in his behavior, and she tells him off. Good girl. She tries to find comfort with her new friend, Frenchie, and her girl gang, the Pink Ladies. Um, but eventually, Danny and Sandy gradually begin to date again. But they face difficulties due to Sandy being a good girl and Danny uh, with his bad boy reputation. Okay, so some interesting facts about the movie. So Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey wrote the book, music, and lyrics for the original musical Grease, and they named their show after the 1950s subculture of greasers. And one of them, apparently, I can't remember which one, had been a greaser in high school. So it comes from some authentic experience in there, surprisingly. Uh, the show opened in 1971 in Chicago, and it went to Broadway in 72, where it was nominated for seven Tony Awards. But even though this was a super successful show, they made many changes to it uh, when it was brought to the screen. And one big change was moving the action from an urban area to the Southern California suburbs. That is a That really makes a big difference, I think, in the character of the movie, don't you think? Yeah, very much so. I feel like they tried to keep some of that urbanness. Like, was mm. this the culture in Southern California suburbs? I mean, are people from there being like, that was never us? Do you know what I mean? We were, mm. we were surfing bums versus greasers. That <laughs> so, 
That'd be interesting yeah. to know. Yeah. Yeah. The movie, so the movie did, however, include uh, several cast members from the stage production of Grease, albeit in different roles. John Travolta had previously played Duty, and Jeff Conaway, who plays Kanicki in the movie, had played Danny Zuko on stage. So people are switching around. Um, also, in terms of casting, Henry Winkler from Happy Days had been the studio's initial choice for Danny Zuko, but he didn't want to be typecast as a greaser since he was playing the Fonz on Happy Days. I can't even imagine actually that version of the movie either. I don't know. He would have probably taken over uh, Sonny as the oldest looking character in it. Um. <laughs> 100%. Sonny looks like 45. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't the oldest though that's surprising anyway <laughs> that's funny yeah um so olivia newton john is sandy she seems perfect to me but like she was actually kind of an out-of-the-box choice like an unusual choice but she was already super famous in america as a hit singer so that's why she kept being mentioned in the trailer uh but greece was her american acting debut she had previously only acted in music videos and two obscure musicals in Australia and the UK, which we uh, talked a little bit about on the Xanadu episode. So because of that, um, because of being new to movies, relatively speaking, she requested a screen test before taking this role to make sure she could actually act. But that went really well and she took the role. Um, as we just mentioned, the actors were all older than the high school students, some considerably older. John Travolta was pretty close at 23, but Olivia Newton-John was 29, and Stockard Channing was 34 when the film was released. She doesn't look 34. Yeah, well, she we did th- pretty well. Yeah, she yeah. looked pretty well yeah. in the film. Yeah, no, I thought she looked, she looked, yeah, she didn't look 34 yeah. at all. The movie was filmed at three different high schools in L.A., but the most recognizable location was Venice High School, where most of the exterior shots were filmed, including the Summer Nights number. And Grease shot in two months on a $6 million budget, but became, of course, incredibly successful. Grease went on to be the highest grossing musical of 1978, and it broke The Sound of Music's record as the highest grossing musical of all time. And it kept that record until it was again surpassed by Mamma Mia in 2008, another movie we have covered back in our musical series. And the Grease soundtrack also became the second best-selling album of the year in the U.S. behind the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, another movie starring John Travolta. So that was kind of Travolta's year, I guess. How much of a headlock did um, John Travolta have around America and American pop culture in 1978? It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Then the song Hopelessly Devoted to You by John Farah was nominated for the original song Oscar, but it lost to the Donna Summer song Last Dance from the movie Thank God It's Friday. Now, this is this is really shocking to me. Critics, for some reason, did not like Grease. And Rex Reed, dude, he said, Olivia Newton-John sounds like a tone-deaf cow. What? Nice. No. Unforgivable and crazy. What crazy was he talk. listening to? No idea. No idea at all. I mean, seriously, how can you like listen to Olivia Newton-John and that's what you think? I have no idea. Bizarre man. Anyway, okay. Grease 2 was the sequel to Grease, released in 1982 and starred Michelle Pfeiffer, but it did not do as well at the box office or critically. But several people from Grease reprised their role, including Didi Khan as Frenchie and Eve Arden, Sid Caesar, Dodie Goodman, and Eddie Deason reprised their roles as the principal, Coach Calhoun, Blanche, and the student, Eugene. So they had a few uh, alumni there. And then a few words about the legacy of Grease. In 1996, John Travolta told author Holly Malaya 
that of all of his films, and this includes Pulp Fiction at the time, he would choose to put Grease in a time capsule for future generations. He said, quote, I'm going for the one that would give the most therapeutic value to the future. It's amazing the joy level that it gives new kids, old kids, for generations, you know? And Didi Khan, who played Frenchie, told the Smithsonian Magazine, Grease is about firsts. First love, first car, first heartache. That has a very special energy to it. And don't forget, this was a time, too, before music videos. Grease was one long music video. And finally, a little another piece of its uh, legacy. In 2023, there was a short-lived TV show, Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies, on Paramount+. Plus. But the show was like sort of canceled almost right away and removed from the streaming site, despite being getting an Emmy nomination for choreography. And I have to say, I never actually did watch it because I'm not really big on these reboots and stuff. But like, I, I hate this trend of removing things, though. Yeah. Hmm, bummer. All right, let's get into our general opinion of the movie. And um, Steve, you kind of started us off already, but like, I want to hear about your evolution from watching this like all the time when you're a kid and like, have you watched it a lot subsequent years and how has it changed for you, the experience of watching the film? Yeah, so um, it's, I think it's one of those things that it's always, it's always there in, if you enjoy the film, then it's always kind of like there in your life, you'll go through school, there'll be a production of Greece happening in your school. <laughs> um, you know, you maybe, if you start going to the theatre, there'll be a musical performance of Greece in the in the theatre. Um, when I met my wife, we found out that both kind of you know could could quote Greece word for word all the way through and stuff so um we had little kind of um little lines from the film that were little kind of like in jokes between us and stuff so yeah it kind of was it's just kind of always always there as a little bit of a touchstone for things I think watching it watching it back for this for this episode was the first time I'd watched it all the way through in a in a very long time a lot of years and um the things that struck I, I enjoyed it just as much as ever um I, I found there is definitely a portion of it that um i don't enjoy as much and find it a little bit not boring but i can easily dip out from don't enjoy as much um and it's a weird film it really is a weird film <laughs> I kind of, I, that was what really struck me i was like god there are some really bizarre things in this film <laughs> i can't um, wait to hear what you think is weird i'm excited to yeah hear yeah um but uh but yeah i mean john travolta is is just as kind of i don't know i mean just so charismatic so kind of effortless and um olivia newton john is just yeah i mean she's literally like a an angel but they're in the film that's mm -hmm. how she's depicted a lot in it isn't it so um but yeah no I, I i really enjoyed it and and yeah picked up on a lot more of the adult themes in it um, <laughs> yeah. now as well one quick thing i remember watching it again my dad took me to like a friend's house for a day and i took <laughs> and again this just shows you i think i took my grease video everywhere i went i put it on and um the scene in the back of the car where um the condom's broken um, I said to my, I, turn, I remember this so well. I turned to my dad. I was like, "What's what's broken?" Obviously, I didn't know what was going on. And my dad, really quick thinking, the only thing he could think to say was, oh, um, uh, "A pencil. He broke a pencil. That was what it was." <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. I've got a similar story. Can I just dive in? Sure, uh, sure. I remember. So there's the, the slumber party scene and uh, they're going to pierce Sandy's ear. And what Jan says, oh, here, you can use my virgin pen. And um, I remember asking me like, what's a virgin pen? And I think it was my sister and my cousin. They very smartly said, it's a pen that's never been used before. And I'm like, oh, okay. So that was, yeah, <laughs> my burning question. And that was the answer I got. Yeah. And you just believe it as well. You're just like, oh, yeah. right, great. Okay. No, no, exactly what it is. Yeah. No questions. No more questions needed. Totally. I don't think that could, would go with my daughter at all. Like, the <laughs> kids today, they should be like, really? And I don't She'd know. She'd Google it. She'd Google it. She could <laughs> Google it, couldn't she? <sighs> Damn that Google. <laughs> and she'd get very mixed results, probably. She'd get some chat GPT answer or something. And who knows if that would be actually true. <laughs> anyway. So, Sophia, what else about this movie? When did you, do you remember when you first saw it and like how your opinion has evolved over time? I think and it stuff was like that. I was little, maybe yeah. six, seven, young. So had zero clue about any of any of any of that, um, but just uh. loved the singing and dancing and mm -hmm. the colors and, um, you know, their cute poodle skirts. And, um, you know, Jen, you talk about when we did the Dirty Dancing episode, how like that was kind of like your... Like sexual awakening. I'm convinced that mine was this grease. Like wow. I was like, ooh, kissing and <laughs> like boys and girl. Like, um, yeah. I mean, John Travolta was a dreamboat, and I knew it as a little girl. <laughs> All right, that's and really I interesting. I'm, that's really interesting yeah. to hear that. Yeah. So I, this might have been up there in that, like, oh, dating. What's that about? And yeah, you know. Boy, it put people going to a dance and stuff like that. That was right there in my little tiny brain, like dances where mm. kissing happens or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. So I've loved it. I've loved it. I've seen it a million times. There was a big chunk of time that I watched it as a little little child, right? And then saw it later in my teens. And I was like, oh my God, like how was I allowed <laughs> to watch this? You know? Yeah. And how about as an adult? Have you watched it consistently in your adult life? Uh, no. Like I just okay. know it so well. Yeah. <laughs> I if it, I that's not entirely true. I've somewhere in my twenties. Like if it came on at my cousin's house, we would put it on because we all loved it. You know, I don't think I intentionally like sought it out to put it to mm. put it on because we. I just yeah, I know the dialogue really well too, Steve. We could just. You yeah. could just do it right now. We'll do a special like, episode someday where we just do a whole film. I think I think we need to. Oh my someday. god. That sounds perfect. Right. That sounds great. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. So me, I cannot remember a time when I have not been aware of Greece. I feel like I must have seen it before I was even like, you know, that conscious of the world around me. I must have seen it when I was a baby. I think it was just always there. And probably on TV or when we got tapes, certainly we had a tape of it right away. Um, and the soundtrack, I'm pretty sure we had it too. And I, I, I loved the movie when I was a kid. And then I had a kind of a Grease renaissance um, after Pulp Fiction, actually. So Pulp Fiction sure. came out. I became obsessed with Pulp Fiction. Then I became obsessed with John Travolta and watched all his work again including Greece. And then I was kind of like led on to Olivia Newton-John again. And then I went through this huge Olivia Newton-John phase in my late teens and early twenties, where I'd watch all her movies and listen to her music all the time. And that kind of was a whole resurgence. And I, I watched Greece like then since then, like about once or tw once every two years or so. And like, 
watched it like at least four times for this episode because we kept Whoa. getting delayed. Because we kept getting <laughs> delayed, so I kept watching it again. And also, the thing is, if like you put the music on from this movie, I will just sing it. I have no choice. Yeah. It was really hard, even listening to the trailer just now, not to sing along to everything. So uh, yeah, yeah. I, there was a time where I was just listening to the soundtrack and not watching the film, just doing the soundtrack. Is yeah, the music yeah. is a lot of fun. Yeah, I I still think so. For me, this is a five out of five movie on Letterboxd, and it's not necessarily because. I think like I want to watch it all the time per se, like because I did get a little tired of watching it after four times. But I just feel like in terms of what it is, it is perfect and it is a magical combination of things. Like there's definitely weird things about it, but for me, the weirdness works together to create a perfect whole, which I think happens sometimes. But I could also be biased. I I definitely do have a pro Olivia Newton John bias, so. <laughs> I, I completely agree with what you just said, Jen. I think you just kind of summed it up perfectly there. I think it is a real perfect combination of a lot of different things. And, um, you know, it's the late 70s, so they'll throw some odd odd things in there, obviously. But um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's probably my favorite musical. It's up there with my favorite kind of high school films. Um, it's up there with my favorite John Travolta films. It's, um, yeah, no, I think it's, um, I think a five out of five, it, it definitely gets. Yeah, I put it up there with like my top five favorites. Nice. It's not one that I'm watching regularly, but one that like I just left an impression. You know, it's such a young age. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. All right. Are we ready to talk about the cast and crew a bit? Yeah. So we're not going to be talking about Olivia Newton-John today because we have already covered her on Every Rom-Com. For more information on the wonderful Olivia Newton-John, check out Every Rom-Com episode 61 on Xanadu. And if you haven't seen Xanadu, you got to see it anyway. So just please get on that. All right. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about John Travolta. And there's a lot to tell about him. We're going to try to sum it up into a nice package here. So Travolta was born in 1954 in New Jersey. His mother was an actress and drama teacher, and he became interested in acting as a child. And he was the youngest of six children, and one of his older sisters, Ellen, also appeared in the movie Grease as a waitress at the diner. I totally remember my dad being like, that's John Travolta's sister. <laughs> like, yep. He always did that kind of stuff when we were watching movies. So Travolta's parents supported him leaving high school at 16 to pursue acting. Early on, he did commercials and small television roles, as well as some theater. And of course, we mentioned he also appeared in the stage musical version of Grease. And then in 1975, he had his first movie, The Devil's Reign. And on that set, he was also introduced to Scientology. So that's the other thing that, of course, Travolta is kind of famous for or infamous for kind of, you know. Yeah. Um, his breakout role, though, was in the TV show Welcome Back Cotter in 1975, which I watched all the time in high school. Same. Love it. <laughs> 1976 was a big year for Travolta. He had a supporting role in the horror movie Carrie. He released a self-titled pop album, including the hit single Let Her In. And he starred in the TV movie The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, which was also directed by Grease director Randall Kleiser. So while filming The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, he started dating his on-screen mom, Diana Highland. She was 41 and he was 23. Travolta said he had never been more in love in his entire life. Um, and then in 1977, Travolta became even more widely known with his iconic starring role in Saturday Night Fever, which also earned him, I think, a well-deserved Oscar nomination. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, but 1977 then ended up being a really hard year for Travolta because Diana Highland, his um, girlfriend, died of breast cancer. 
He was grieving and pretty depressed going into the shooting of Greece, and reportedly he leaned on Scientology very heavily during this time. But Greece also ended up being a very meaningful movie for Travolta and a good experience, both because he had always wanted to play Danny Zuko and because he developed a lifelong friendship with co-star Olivia Newton-John. And they always really did seem to be like truly good friends. Yeah. So in the early 80s, Travolta starred in a few more well-known movies, including Urban Cowboy and Blowout. But his second film with Olivia Newton-John, Two of a Kind, did not do well critically or financially, or with me, by the way. <laughs> Which is like, so if you can't if you can't please me with your Olivia Newton-John John Travolta movie, you got problems. I'm sorry. Um, and also, Staying Alive, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, did not do so well. Travolta's next successful movie was Look Who's Talking in 1989. He also appeared in its two sequels. But as we all know, his career comeback came when Quentin Tarantino cast him against type as Vincent Vega in 1994's Pulp Fiction. And that was like the travolta sans, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember that well. And he received his second Academy Award nomination for that role. And then in 1991, before that, Travolta also had personal success when he married longtime wife Kelly Preston, and they stayed together until her death from breast cancer in 2020, which is just really sad. And they raised three children. And also another tragedy he had in in his marriage was that his son Jet died in 2009. So he's had a lot of success and a lot of tragedy uh, in his life. Yeah. 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 So after Pulp Fiction, the Travolta Sans started, he closed out the 90s with films including Get Shorty, Broken Arrow, Phenomenon, Michael, Face Off, Primary Colors, and A Civil Action. And he's continued to work steadily since the 90s. But I think the majority of his projects have not been as well received critically since then, I would say. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, just looking at that, that's one hell of a run at the end of the 90s with the films that he's done there. But because he had this kind of, with Broken Arrow, Face Off, he had this kind of rebirth as a unlikely action movie star, um, yeah. as was liked at the time. But but yeah, no, he's, um, he's yeah, definitely a bit of a mixed bag since then. Yeah, including like in terms of action movies, he began the 2000s with Battlefield Earth, the action film based on the Scientology novel by L. Ron Hubbard. It is often cited as one of the worst movies ever made. I have not seen it. Same. <laughs> Same. But he did do some better received movies in in the 2000s, including Hairspray. And in the 2010s, some of his more popular work included a role in the TV series American Crime Story, as well as the movie Gaudy. And then recently in 2023, he's appeared in three movies, the action comedy Die Hard and the action thrillers Mobland and The Shepherd. And apparently he's in pre-production on two movies, a romantic comedy musical called That's Amore. Yes, please. Yes, yep. please. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a thriller called Assassination. Not as excited about that, to be honest. <laughs> He's also in post-production on the action movies Cash Out and Cash Out 2, High Rollers. Also don't care. <laughs> give, give me the musical romantic <laughs> comedy, please. Film them back to back. Yeah. Uh, you know, bang them out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're even called Cash Out. So like, <laughs> I don't know. In addition to acting, Travolta also has production credits on nine of the films and TV shows he's appeared in, and one writing credit for a 1990 movie he starred in called Chains of Gold. And then recently there's been a rumor that Quentin Tarantino is planning to save a role for him in his, what he's calling his final movie, The Movie Critic. So 
That'll Ooh. be interesting to see if that, that comes That will be very about. interesting to see, yeah. Wait, whose final movie? Travolta's or Tarantino's? Tarantino's. You, didn't hear, you didn't hear about this? The whole no. Tarantino's only going to make 10 movies and then he's going to quit thing, which I hate, by the way, Quentin Tarantino, if you ever listen to our podcast, which what? you probably won't. But if you do, just make more movies, please. All right, Why, 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 why? What do you say? Why? How come? Because he doesn't want to, like, fade away. He, he wants to st- stop at the top of his game is what he said, so. Okay, whatever. Like, what He'll feel differently when he's... He'll have an idea and he won't be able to help himself. He was like, I got to make another one. That's just my prediction on that. I hope you're right. Okay. So the director of um, Greece was Randall Kleiser. So he was born in 1946 in Pennsylvania. He graduated USC in 1968. One of his early short films was selected for preservation by the Library of Congress National Film Registry. Wow. Um, yeah. He began working in TV in 1975 and directed several TV movies, including the John Travolta movie The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. Travolta then suggested Kleiser as the director of Grease, which became Kleiser's first feature film and first musical. Reading a little bit kind of around that as well, it seems like, because yeah, obviously uh, Kleiser and Travolta knew each other very well, and it sounds like I assume Kleiser knew his girlfriend as well from from the film. So um, I think he really encouraged uh, John Travolta to kind of you know film Greece as, as quickly as he could, just to you know keep him occupied and and um, mm. yeah do something positive in that in that kind of dark time he was going through at the time. Yeah. Um, Kleiser's first movie after Greece was The Blue Lagoon in 1980. During the 80s, he also directed the movies Flight of the Navigator, Big Top Pee Wee, and Summer Lovers, which he also wrote. In the 90s, he directed movies including White Fang and Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Um, He also wrote and directed It's My Party in 1996, which featured Livin' Newton-John in its ensemble cast. The movie was based on an ex-lover's diagnosis with AIDS and a subsequent farewell party he held with loved ones. Kleiser had been known to be gay in Hollywood circles at the time uh, It's My Party was released, but doing publicity for the film represented another level of coming out for him. In the 2000s, Kleiser directed films including Love Wrecked and a children's movie of the Red Riding Hood story. His output slowed down in 2010s and was mainly limited to shorts, and Kleiser also has 11 acting credits on his IMDb. Yeah, not, yeah. not didn't do the the most work in the world, I don't think, after um, after Greece, but um, no. yeah, some some. I, I love Flight of the Navigator. That was um, a, <laughs> a childhood favorite of mine. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was my brother's. My brother loved it, and my husband loves it too. He made me yeah. watch it with him not too long ago. He's like, "Come on, come on, come on, Flight of the yeah. Navigator." I'm like, "I hated it." <laughs> I was like, what? It was the greatest because I my brother made me watch it all the time. Funny. Uh-huh. Some people yeah. just love it. So uh, next, we'll be speaking about Stockard Channing, who plays Betty Rizzo. Stockard was born in Manhattan uh, in 44 and attended private schools. She graduated from Radcliffe College of Harvard in 1965, where she studied history and literature. Then she started studying acting in New York. She began acting in theater in Boston, but made her debut her Broadway debut in 1971 with the show Two Gentlemen of Verona, the musical. I am there for that. <laughs> in 1972, she had her TV debut on Sesame Street and appeared in 17 episodes total. 
1973, she had her first starring role in the TV movie Girl Most Likely To, a dark comedy in which an ugly girl gets revenge on her tormentors after receiving plastic surgery. Other work before Grease included the movies The Fortune, The Big Bus, and The Cheap Detective. That is a Gilbert family favorite. Um, Which the one? Cheap the Cheap Detective. Really? I never even heard of that. That's interesting. Grease remains her most recognizable role, but she's worked steadily throughout the years between stage and screen. In the 80s, she appeared in the movie Heartburn. She also starred in two short-lived sitcoms, and appeared in a number of TV movies, smaller films, and theatrical works. She also won a Tony in 1985 for the play A Day in the Death of Joe Egg. The 90s brought some of Channing's other most notable work. In 1993, she was nominated for an Oscar for her role in Six Degrees of Separation. She had also originated the role on stage. Also in the 90s, she appeared in the movies including Meet the Applegates, to Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, Up Close and Personal, The First Wives Club, and Practical Magic. That is a Sophia Gilbert favorite. <laughs> From 1999 to 2006, she played the first lady in the TV show The West Wing. In 2002, she won Emmys both for her role in The West Wing and for a role in The Matthew Shepard Story. Also in the 2000s, she appeared in many movies, including Where the Heart Is, The Business of Strangers, The Divorce, Anything Else, and Must Love Dogs. In the 2010s, she's mainly known for her work on the TV show The Good Wife, but she also appeared in several other TV movies and series and continued to work on stage. Recently, she appeared in the 2022 movie Angry Neighbors and in the 2023 miniseries Maryland. She has one TV series called Knuckles in post-production. So some other important cast from Greece: Jeff Conaway was Kanicki. Eve Arden was the principal. Sid Caesar was Coach Calhoun. Joan Blondell was Vi. Didi Khan was Frenchie. Jamie Donnelly played Jan. Dinah Manoff played Marty. Barry Pearl was Duty. Michael Tucci was Sonny. Kelly Ward was Putsy. And of course, Frankie Avalon as the teen angel, who can forget? And there's a lot of great people in this cast. It's a pretty stacked cast. And I also wanted to give a special shout out to choreographer Patricia Birch. Um, obviously, the choreography is a huge, important part of this film. All right, and let's get into this film. So we've got, first of all, this opening scene, the a romantic beach montage set to Love is a Many Splendored Thing. What do you both make of this uh, opening? Uh, um, <laughs> you, you know, you go ahead, it, Sophia. You go yeah, ahead. It, it's to me never fit the film. <laughs> honestly, yeah, yeah completely agree. Yeah, doesn't really set the tone. I mean, I guess it's this love story, but it's like it sounds like a melodramatic love story versus this like fun musical that we're about to see. Okay, for me though, I feel like if this hadn't been there, like I wouldn't really root for her to get together with Danny later. Because he's mm. such a jerk when they first meet each other, right? In the actual True. story. And like, mm. I need to see evidence that like, they were like, into each other. And it was like, perfect for a while. I need to see that that happened in some way. I mean, I don't know how else you would do that. You wouldn't want to get too into it either. Because then it makes it, like, it would drag. I feel like mm -hmm. it was perfect. It was just the right amount of like, montage and like, put all the beautiful things together. And it was so over the top. Like, I think the over the topness does fit. 
maybe other aspects don't like tonally. I don't know. Yeah. That's my argument for it. Like what, I, I mean, how would, what do you think you would feel about their relationship if you hadn't seen that they were happy together once? I totally agree that the setup for their relationship was important, but I feel like it could have been done. Well, like the song that they sang, they taught, they went bowling. They were at the arcade. Like they couldn't have filmed. Yeah at the arcade being cute and sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's just like them alone on this beach. There's nobody else there. Like, had they, <laughs> had they yeah. set it up with the same tone of like fun and teenage yeah. kind of thing and not love is a many splendored thing, mm. you know? Yeah. I'm there for it. I disagree with both of you. I'm there for it. <laughs> Well, I can, I'm I'm backing you up totally, Sophia. I completely agree with you. I was going to exactly say the same thing in the in the um, summer nights song. It's perfect for a couple of little flashback moments um, there, just to pop up on the screen. And I think you would still get it without. Um, yeah, just the song doesn't fit the the song doesn't fit the film. The setting doesn't fit the film. It's um, you know, uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, not okay. not a fan of the of the opening part. But I'm not. I don't want to spoil the ending. But I think the beginning and the ending make perfect bookends of, of absurdity. Uh, so we're not going to spoil the ending. But I think if you mm -hmm. put the beginning and ending together, they make these perfect bookends of surreality and and over the topness and absurdity. So I'm just going to put that out there. I okay. can see that. Yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's see. Um, okay. Let's, let's get to the opening titles then. So just a little bit about them, and then we'll discuss them. So the opening titles are to the song Grease. Uh, Barry Gibb of the Bee Gees wrote the song, and famous 1950s singer Frankie Valli from the Four Seasons performed it. This was not in the original musical, and it became a number one single in the U.S. and reached number three in the U.K. And basically the song is playing over like sort of cartoon caricature introductions to each of the high school characters. And what are your impressions of this part? Did this part work for you? Well up against that melodramatic <laughs> beach scene it was always very strange but i always also enjoyed it like you could see it was something every time you watched it you saw the different little aspects of yeah you know these little animated scenes and it sets you up for the characters you know so i i, I enjoyed the animation but i also would fast forward through a lot of it too just to get oh. to the story I never did. See, I always like what you said about like you can pick out new things every time. I was always mm -hmm. like looking at like stuff in their decor or something or a mm -hmm. new thing. Uh, what my favorite part of it is how Sandy is portrayed like um, yep. like a Disney princess, like with mm -hmm. those little birds yep. bringing her like her like nightgown or something. It's mm -hmm. so pretty. I was, I, I it was just it was so. And then there's Stalker Channing's like huge neck, like in the turtleneck or something. Like, yes, yeah. it was it was so funny to me. I always liked it. And how about how about for you, Steve? Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah, I think it's a real good um, kind of uh, time and, and character setter. Um, the, the the animation at the start of it, they do, they do the um, rolling clips of like you know, there's James Dean on someone's wall. The mm -hmm. Disney animation, yeah. As you say, mm -hmm. I did have a quick look just before we start recording. Actually, Cinderella, I think, was released in 1951, and Sleeping Beauty was released 58, I think. So it just very much tied in with that. The bit with True. with Sandy, um, Mad Magazine, Elvis. I thought I thought it was a real good, um, a really good way to to you know set out your stall of where you know when this film is set and, and what to expect and a little bit a little bit about each character as well, you know, just kind of what what they're about and, and that kind of thing too. So yeah, I thought it was yeah. really good. Yeah, that's true. I forgot to mention there's other clips of like historical and cultural things that are going on in the fifties too that they flash in cartoon form. So yeah, that's also mm -hmm. scene setting for you. 
So now we get out of the credits montage, we get to the introduction to their high school, and we get introduced right away to the two groups we're going to be seeing a lot of, the T-Birds, the Greaser Guys in their leather jackets, and the Pink Ladies in their pink jackets, and they're kind of the Greaser Girl gang's girlfriends. Like, I don't know what the equivalent term would be for that kind of girl, like just a girl gang, I guess. Yeah, so how do you like this uh, introduction to the high school? Did this make a big impression upon you when you were younger? It did for me, yeah, definitely. I think... um... Yeah, watching it back oh, when I was younger um, I think it was um, introducing T-Birds is quite funny as in the the other three is quite kind of you know comic relief funny characters um, you, and you kind of wonder why the other two hang around with, <laughs> hang around with them um, um, and yeah it kind of am I right in saying watching it now is a bit older you, the first impressions you get is that Kaniki is a bit of a bully prick because then, then the first shot you see of him he just knocks a guy's uh, books out of his hand and then yeah. the, the, um, the other guys go running up to him um mm-hmm. and then um and then yeah the shot of uh, john travolta is just like okay here's your here's your star of the film here's the ladies right. man here's what everyone's <laughs> going to be desiring throughout the film yeah they do this like special zoom into his like close-up and he turns around and that smile oh my mm-hmm. god like even though i don't personally find travolta to be like that attractive like for i find him objectively attractive but i don't find him like personally like oh my god but like you but his charisma is like something mm-hmm. else like his star power there is like whoa yeah that zoom into travolta was yeah i was like ooh la la you know the three the three uh you know other t-birds doing mm-hmm. their whole stooges shtick. Yeah. um i mean i also grew up watching the stooges so like that wasn't that wasn't weird. That was like kind of a, Oh, Hey, I know who those guys are. That was your thing. And apparently the three stooges stuff was like an improv. A lot of it like that they did. Yeah. They just improv some background action to do in the scenes. So let's also talk about the girls. So like Mm -hmm. we also see Sandy kind of approach uh, the school kind of nervously. She's worried about, she's going to get along at this new high school. And Frenchie, like you said, I don't know where she met Frenchie, but Frenchie's kind of adopted her, um, Mm -hmm. put her under her wing. She's kind of the sweet uh, member of the pink ladies, I guess you would say. I mean, a few of them are sweet, but Frenchie's like out of, uh, goes out of her way to be sweet. I think. Yeah. That was such a good observation, Sophia, though. I'd I'd never even thought about that. I don't think when you just said, so how did you meet her? Why are they friends? So yeah, that was really good. Not until right now, since we just started talking about it, did they ever think about where did they ever meet? Yep. Right. Yeah. Another thing, though, like we go hearkening back to our episode on the half of it, another teen movie, episode four, we talked about that movie. Um, teachers in high school movies, I sometimes have quibbles with them or I don't like them so much. I love the the principal in this movie played by Eve Arden. <laughs> And I love her little assistant Blanche played by Dodie Goodman. I love the coach too, Coach Calhoun, because they all seem like real teachers and school administrators that are doing their job and are trying to do their job. Well, maybe not the assistant to the principal. She's always screwing things up. But like um, Eve Arden's character, the principal, first of all, we got a woman principal, which I love. But second of all, she is serious about the rules. She commands respect. There's this whole little Mm -hmm. joke scene where like, I think it was um, Sonny is saying he's not going to take her shit this year something and then yeah. like immediately like she sees him in the hallway and is like mr latieri this <laughs> is like what yes, are you ma'am. doing in the hallway no, between classes <laughs> like, yeah and then they all make fun of him because like, you're not going to take any of your shit huh sonny <laughs> 
but she's awesome. And, and like, so too often you see teachers kind of not acting realistically being like unprofessional in these movies. And we got these professional teachers in this movie or professional principal. I love it. What do you, what, yeah. do you feel the same Sophia? Yeah. Yeah. I really, and the coach, he's like, Hey, everybody, come on. And we're a team and let's, you know, be a, a football. Yeah. I mean, he's a great silly character, but also true to like some coaches. Um, but Even he also the, cares. There's a cool action he has later with Travolta too. So like he cares about the students. They show him caring. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that like their uh, auto shop teacher is also oh, yeah. perfect. Like I feel yeah. like she's friendly with the kids, but there's always that one teacher, right? The cool one that you know lets you skip or you know who isn't such a hard ass, but is kind of your pal. You know. Yeah. And that's another um, woman in a, like an unusual job at that time, like challenging gender roles. So, and, and this is still the late seventies when women's lib was still pretty fresh in the U S. So that's great to see both a female principal and a female shop teacher or auto teacher, auto shop teacher mm-hmm. in the same movie, you know? Yeah. That goes in my, this movie is feminist column, by the way, <laughs> in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> Now we come to um, Summer Nights, which is our first musical number in the movie. It's a kind of a natural song placement. The kids are catching up and gossiping at lunch about what happened this summer. We hear about Sandy and Danny's romance from each of their perspectives. There's a lot to say about this song. What are your initial thoughts about this song? It's a huge wedding favorite over here in the UK. I don't know if it's the same is over it? in the US. I'd imagine it is. Yeah, gotcha. That's awesome. <laughs> It's um, so they usually do the Grease Mega Mix, which is Grease Lightning, Summer Nights, and okay. um, oh God, what's the last one called? Sorry, uh, you're the one uh, that Danny I want. And Sandy sing together at you're the, the end. One you're the one that I want. You're the one that I want. Yeah. So they usually squeeze them together. But uh, yeah, massive, massive kind of wedding favorite over here. There's a there's a show called um, Gavin and Stacey that show it really well. Literally, just you know, you automatically get the you know bit of that sort of divide between girls and guys, and they'll sing sing each other parts to each other and all that kind of thing. Another thing I picked up on in the song, which I which I only picked the, picked up on this when I watched it earlier on YouTube, there was a bit where I can't remember which line it is, um, <laughs> but and you know you mentioned earlier about um, the Three Stooges bit is a bit of an improv thing that they I think there's a lot of stuff that probably the director said right everyone anyone who's in the background just do some do some random things you know I think he encouraged people to do it because throughout the film there's just these odd little bits people are doing and in the in the in the number, Putsy puts his hands all over Kaniki, like he's oh. like um like he's holding on to a to a girl or something. Like he's kind of oh. just rubbing him up the sides and stuff. And Kaniki's loving it. He's kind of like rubbing his hands down himself at the same time. It's a real quick like flash. Amazing. Um, but it's just something that I that I noticed for the very first time um, in the yeah. in the song. Oh man, yeah, the, the thing I noticed this time, the sexual innuendo I noticed this time is there's section where um, Danny says, took her bowling in the arcade. While he says, took her bowling in the arcade, <laughs> he's doing like a finger motion that like 100% is sexual. Okay? <laughs> you check, watch it for the next time you watch this movie. And the whole thing, of course, is like Sandy's side is she's singing about all these romantic things like, he got mm-hmm. friendly holding my hand. And then Danny's mm-hmm. like, she got friendly down in the sand. Like he's like it's everything's a sexual innuendo on his side everything on sandy's side is making it sound pure and sweet and romantic and innocent so it's so gendered in terms of what we expected of women you know at that time versus men in the 1950s and maybe still today to some extent but way bad in the 1950s but yeah there's layers to this number 
the lyrics and then the ways, yep. their gestures and their behavior. And Steve, I'm totally going to watch out for this Kanicki and Putsy action next time I watch it. <laughs> Do you know what? When I was watching it this time, is yeah, definitely watch out for that bit. But also as well, I just I kind of noticed Rizzo doesn't take part in any part of the choreography with the girls <laughs> right. at all. She does. She just. She literally just stands up. She doesn't even move in time at all with anything. She just lays down on the bench, kicks them off the bench. There's nothing that she does that's like in time with any part of the song. It's just um, she's so against what you know um, is being kind of said by the girls and stuff. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's too I- cool. Yeah, no, she's too cool. Like, it's a combination of, like, maybe cynical about romance and, like, maybe she doesn't want Sandy to be the center of attention. I don't know. What do you think? Mm-hmm. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And just that, you know, she, she'd probably prefer to be singing about what the guys are singing about, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and then in line with that, in the director and choreographer's commentary, they point out that this number introduces you to all the characters' personalities. So, obviously, you see a lot about Rizzo there. But you also see a little bit about each of the others. And like you get introduced to people like Patty Simcox, the sort of cheerleader character who hangs around and wants to hear all about it and is all into the romance and gossip as well. So, yeah, kind of interesting. And when you said about it being a popular wedding song in the UK, apparently this song spent seven weeks at number one in the UK and it only got to number five in the US. So this was more popular in the UK than the US for whatever reason. Yeah, and I love this song. It's so popular, like at karaoke, it's kind of become a cliche, but I have sung it at karaoke and I've sung both different parts. I like to do Danny's part better sometimes, actually. I would love to see you do that. Fun. Oh, yeah, that would be fun. And I like to do the part at the end where like um, Danny like raises his arm all the way up in the air. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like like yeah. at the end, the summer, and he's like, nights. He does the really <laughs> high voice yeah. at the end, which is awesome. All right, we now come to the pep rally. Coach Calhoun gets his moment to shine where he gets to like uh, rally everybody <laughs> to to fight the other team, and um, which is hilarious, by the way. Um, Sid Caesar's speech there, I think part of that was improvised too. He's like, we're going to rip them, and then we're going to tear them apart. And then that assistant principal lady or secretary mm. or whatever, she's like that great. was apparently improvised too, where she's like <laughs> making these ripping and tearing motions and getting really into it. Like that whole bit they did is so great there, I thought. Very, yeah. yeah, it's funny. As a kid, that part was boring to me. But as I get older, like, you know, how he's like, we're going to come back here and ring that victory bell like we always wanted to. Like, they've never <laughs> <laughs> a bell. <laughs> and then he yeah. bangs his hand down and, and, he's, and he hurt himself. Oh, yeah. And then he's like, <laughs> oh, God, <my> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, these are like really good experienced um, actors working in these adult roles here, like uh, just doing a great backup job here. And this pep rally is like, I've never been to a pep rally like this. Of course, I didn't really go to pep rallies, but there's like freaking bonfire and the cheerleaders are all dancing around it. And now Sandy is now a cheerleader. That's important. And she's kind of making flirty eye contact with this football player. Um, Sophia, did you go to pep rallies? Were they like this? Was there like a bonfire? Like, do you know no, anything No, absolutely this? not. The way I remember okay. pep rallies in high school was that, like, we got to, like, the last hour of school. You know, everyone got to miss their last hour. And we went into the gym. And we were yeah. divided by your year. And, I don't know, just stuff happened in the gym. We were promised bonfires. And this is what we got. I know. <laughs> just some gym stuff. Whatever. Oh, sorry. I forgot to mention, like at this point in the story, they found out in the Summer Nights number at the end that Sandy's song and her romance was with Danny Zuko. 
And they all know who Danny is, of course, and they kind of are keeping it a secret from her until we get to the pep rally and Rizzo decides that they're going to take Sandy over to meet Danny. Okay, so let's let's do a clip now of um, what happens when they push Sandy over in front of Danny Zuko. Hey, Zuko, I got a surprise for you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Sandy! Danny? What are you, what are you doing here? I, I, I thought you were going back to Australia. We had to change of plans. I can't... Well, that's cool, baby. I mean, you know how it is. Rocking and rolling and whatnot. Danny? <laughs> that's my name. Don't wear it out. What's the matter with you? <laughs> What's the matter with me, baby? What's the matter with you? <laughs> what happened to the Danny Zuko I met at the beach? Well, I do not know. I mean, maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe there's two of us, right? <laughs> why, why, why don't you take out a missing persons ad uh, or <laughs> try the yellow pages? I don't know. You're a fake and a phony, and I wish I'd never laid eyes on you. Whoa. Whoa. It was really hard not to be like, what's the matter with me, baby? What's the matter with you? Well, I feel like I do not know. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever happened to the Danny Suk I met at the beach? Yeah. I I do not know. Maybe you should uh, fill out a missing person's ad. I can't do it as well as you, Steve. Sorry. (laughs) No, no, no. That's okay. I wish I could do an Australian accent. You're a fake and a phony. I wish I never laid eyes on you. That's not not Australian (laughs) anyway. That's the best I can do. It's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah, I love love that scene. It's so sad. Like, I still, my heart breaks a little bit for her every time I watch it, though. Like, still. You know, for her, but then a little bit for him, too. Like, he knows he, 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 he fucked up like he he's yeah. like damn you know because he cle- he he loves her but uh you know there's the immaturity the emotional immaturity that he couldn't just be himself in front of his cool friends yeah that's true sophia like right after he finishes talking you see like the light dying in his eyes and mm-hmm. like um he's looking away from his friends and rizzo's looking at him kind of triumphantly i think it's always kind of like uh teased throughout the film that he and rizzo had a thing at some point maybe yeah yeah, yeah. and so yeah, she's like kind of getting yeah. back at him maybe or she's jealous or something and she kind of laughs at him and he's like looking sad and you're just like oh, oh. yeah all right, so moving on from this um, uh, sad re-meeting, and it's oh, it's so sad because like when they first see each other, they're so both so excited. It just mm-hmm. I don't know. For me, this always makes me real sad to see that. But then of course we, it'll 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 turn out all right. But um, now we come to the sleepover scene um, where we also get the song "Look at Me, I'm Sandra D." And this is like a sleepover that's very uncomfortable for Sandy because she is getting peer pressure. She's getting peer pressure to smoke, to drink, to get her ears pierced. Like, which I can relate to. I was like kind of the goody two shoes for a while, both in middle school and then part of high school. And so I always kind of felt like this pressure, like to fit in, but I didn't like succumb to it, but I felt it like Sophia, did you ever get any kind of situation like that where you were pressured to do stuff you didn't want? No, I always hung out with other good girls. So, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm going to eliminate peer pressure from my life. Where are the other goody two shoe geeky people? I mean, I mostly did too, but I just feel like the culture in general, you know, in our school, like sometimes I would feel like, oh, like, yeah, no, no, I put a, the only, I mean, the only cultural thing was like appearance, you know, I always thought I was fat 
So I was never pretty or thin enough, but I could give a shit about smoking or drinking or any of that. All right. All right. All right. I remember feeling peer pressure even in elementary school one night because like all the girls wanted to like go running around the block in their pajamas because of some dare. And like, I refused (laughs) to do it. And then they were all like mad at me and like saying I was a narc or something. And like, I didn't even tell their parents. I just didn't want to go and do it. Like it was Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, (laughs) so I was, I was really, I always related to Sandy in this scene. I always felt like, yeah, I understand you girl. I get it. This whole scene is just a, Rizzo's line of um, she's too pure to be pink. It's just a complete personification of of that, isn't it? It's you know she's dressed in complete white. She's um, you know a bit like the um, the animation at the start. You know she looks like a yes. like a princess kind of thing. You know just very pure, very angelic. Um, and uh, and yeah, they're trying to get her to pierce her ears and drink um, drink alcohol and smoke cigarettes and yeah. all this kind of thing. We learn more about each of the girls, too, at this sleepover, which I think is important. Um, Frenchie's kind of her thing is going. She's going to go to beauty school. She's going to drop out of high school, go to beauty school. Jan is kind of like pegged as this like the quote unquote fat friend. And she likes to eat, even though like I think it's pretty obvious in the movie that she's not really actually fat. But like (laughs) like just like in Shag, one friend sometimes gets dubbed like the fat friend or something, I think. Right. You know, it's like that kind of thing. Um, Marty has a lot of boyfriends. She was always kind of my favorite, to be honest, like kind of uh, presaging what I would become in my late teens, probably (laughs) just kind of the like the kind of into boys and like uh, kind of good with them kind of thing. And then Rizzo is kind of the all around bad girl, but also kind of the leader of the group. Um, and she does the song, look at me, I'm Sandra D. Like, I'll just like, look at me, I'm Sandra D. Lousy with virginity. The one that starts that way. Um, but I want to point out, it is full of 1950s references, this song. So really quick, Sandra D was an actress from the time. She was most famous for playing Gidget, who was also kind of a good girl in this like surfing movie. The song also references personalities like Doris Day, Rock Hudson, Annette Funicello, who's also mentioned by the guys in the movie um, earlier saying nobody's jugs are bigger than Annette's. Okay, like like she was kind of famous for having big breasts, I guess. And then when she goes, as for you, Troy Donahue, I know what you want to do. That part of the song is direct is a direct reference to the movie A Summer Place, where Troy Donahue starred with um, Sandra Dee. And in that movie, Troy Donahue actually and her sleep together. And I think she gets pregnant too, but they at least sleep together. So like, there's all these like deep references that you would kind of get maybe if you were in the seventies, like the fifties would still have been kind of on your mind, but like, I think they're pretty obscure at this point. Right. Except for the, like the, the Elvis reference, obviously people would still get, but a lot of this stuff, like people these days probably it goes right over their heads. Yeah. I never knew the Troy Donahue one. Oh Yeah. Yeah. I, I happened to watch a summer place um, a few years ago. It was inter- just out of curiosity. And then I'm like, oh, that's what. That's like, that's why they're complaining about Troy Donahue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see the connection now. Um, when that, that whole bit about Annette as well, I always assumed that was just another girl in the school called Annette. Oh, <laughs> You know, okay. just working. A, goes, have you seen mm. that new girl? Oh, well, you mean her <laughs> jugs are bigger than Nets? Yeah. Um, Nobody's yeah, no, jugs I just, are I'd assume than they were talking about someone else in the school called Annette. Yeah, which yeah. is funny because Frankie and Annette were both on the the Disney, the first, like on the first Mouseketeers, like on the Mickey Mouse Club show, right? And Frankie yeah. Avalon's in the movie. So <laughs> they're talking yep. about Annette, who is his kind of partner in that show, and then she's he's in the movie. So, 
And then at the end of this scene, at the end of the slumber party scene, the guys come to interrupt the sleepover and Rizzo leaves with Kaniki. Um, like, so this is establishing a new relationship that's just starting up. So um, what what are any feelings you have about the scene in general? Like before we move on, like what are your thoughts on it? I've always enjoyed a sleepover. I always thought they were fun and like, I don't know, couldn't wait to have one. Like again, this film was like, this is what being a teenager is all about when I was, you know, six and like, couldn't wait to do these things that like grown up girls did and always enjoyed a sleepover, but they were never like this ever. <laughs> I'm like, when will we start singing and dancing? It's not <laughs> happening. I'm really sorry I disappointed you on that front, Sophia. I should have really like uh, helped no you problem. out. With that. Well, you did have parties where we did do like lip sync stuff, so it kind yeah. of it, it did happen in a way. Yeah. So, all right. So moving on um, now that like like uh, the boys have come and gone, and Rizzo's left with Kaniki and kicked all the other guys out of the car, apparently. <laughs> Which, which there's some lines in there too. Like Rizzo's like uh, oh, talking yeah. something about she doesn't want to get bang a gang bang yeah, or what something. Is, what is this that, a gang bang? Yeah, yeah. I had no idea what that was for years and years. I never asked right. that question to my dad. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, when I found out what that was, I was like, oh, that's that's very vivid. Um, but <laughs> well, I also didn't know like when she says to you know, hey Zook, how you doing? He's like, you're looking good, and she goes, eat your heart out. He's like, sloppy seconds aren't my style. Uh huh. I was like, what? What's that? Like, what? He insulted her, but like, I didn't know why until later. I'm like, oh my God, you're a jerk. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of sexual innuendo going in here. Like something about like how Danny's going to go flog his log and like, right. It's like like, so much all at once, like just coming at you. But it's all like stuff that little kids wouldn't get. So like when we were kids, we couldn't Google everything. So we wouldn't had no idea. We just had to ask our older relatives who would then give us, provide us with inaccurate answers. So that's why it was okay the, to watch Grease. <laughs> here's the thing. Even as a little kid, I was like repeating these lines. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. like we were, we were like reenacting scenes, you know, mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. my, me and my sister and brother. So. <laughs> okay. Well, I uh, sang the entire I'm Tired song from um, the Blazing Saddles, like uh, Lily Von Stupp's like number. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Totes inappropriate. Yeah, it's but I love it. I don't mind. I'm I'm okay with. I I really loved my inappropriate Gen X childhood. That's all I got to say. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it, we we were allowed to be innocent on some level, you know, like in way that I don't think you could be quite as innocent anymore. You would look it up, and Urban Dictionary might or might not have the correct answer for you about what flog your flog your log meant. So. <laughs> Indeed, but here's we're coming up to maybe my most favorite part of the movie. Really? Okay, do tell. You, I want you to introduce it then. Well, if it's your well now, favorite. you know, Rizzo and the guys have driven off, and then it cuts back to the slumber party. And, um, you know, Sandy's lamenting, you know, what did I ever see in Danny Zuko? And uh, what's her name? Uh, Marty. Frenchie or Marty? Marty. Marty. Yeah. She's, she's got all these, like, overseas boyfriends, all these guys in the service, and she's writing them love letters. And and Sandy wants some of the paper, and so she goes. And now she's outside. And then she does her whole hopelessly devoted song. I mean, I think what I love about it is her voice in this number, because she's so beautiful, and her voice is so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I this was the part that bored me as a kid, to be honest. When I got into my Olivia Newton-John phase, I loved it because I love her voice so much and I respected it. But it is like maybe the most slow moving um, mm-hmm. number in the movie, I would say. 
And, and actually like, um, Randall Kleiser felt that too. Patricia Birch talked about the challenges of making this ballad seem less static, you know? Yeah. So this is how, this is how we end up with like this thing where we have John Travolta's like face floating in the swimming pool and stuff. They just okay. had these little things they threw in to make it like a little more dynamic, but, um, it's quite, yeah. it's quite a short song as well. You know, I think when you watch it back now, it's, it's quite, it, you know, it zips through pretty quick. Hopelessly devoted to you, the number ended up in the movie altogether to begin with because Olivia Newton-John um, right. was supposed was in her contract to have a solo number in the movie, and John Farah wrote this song for her. And I do think the song is successful, but I do think as a kid it really did drag on for me. Like contrary to what contrary to how it seems as an adult, I don't. I remember being bored like every time that came on when I was a kid. But whatever, opinions vary. Mm-hmm. And the song reached number three in the U.S. and number two in Australia and the U.K. So it was a very successful song and one of her big hits. All right, now we come to uh, one of the songs from the original musical, actually, Greased Lightning. And in the movie, it is very different than it was on stage. Um, obviously, for practical reasons is one of the things. Like in the in the musical, the car never gets like this makeover. But in the movie, the car starts out as this hunk of junk, as they say. And then it turns into this beautiful gleaming car that they're all dancing around. And Kanicki was the one who sang it in the stage version. But Travolta was given the song for the movie, which must have really stung for Jeff Conaway, considering he was also like he used to play Zuko. And now mm-hmm. he's Kanicki. And this could have been his like big moment to sing the song. And then he doesn't get it. Yeah. I tell you what, though, he steals this scene for me, though. Um, really? Okay. He does because I, th- I think he, he's the more of a standout in this than, um, than Travolta because of his, because he's he's because tri- you know there's the whole part where John Travolta isn't in it, and then all of a sudden for some reason he's coming down from the ceiling on the engine. Um, but um, <laughs> but you know, like he gets given the stuff, he puts it through his hair, he's combing his hair, he lights the massive, um, he's got the lighter that's like an oil rig that lights up. Oh yeah, up. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he fixes his collar up and. Um, yeah, Just, no, I think he kind of he, he he makes the most of his moments out of this. I, I remember reading as well because he, um, uh, bless him, obviously got a, you know got a massive um, drug addiction, but apparently it started from this because he injured his back. Yeah, doing oh, this sequence, that. and then that's where his painkiller addiction started and everything. Because there is a scene, there is a moment in it. I don't know if you remember where he kind of flips and does like a somersault into yeah. the, mm-hmm. the boot. Sorry, the boot, the trunk of the car. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I, obviously I don't know if that's when it happened, but um, but yeah, no, I think he's um, I think he still is a scene. I think you're right. Yeah, but can I just I have to say like I noticed it way I noticed it a lot more like in the last ten years. But when I have watched this movie in the last ten years, I'm like these dudes are so horny for this car. It's like they want to have sex with the car itself. Do you know what I'm? Because the looks on their faces, like they're just yeah. making these faces, like oh oh, like I'm like what is going yeah. on here? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't what's the choreography? How was I think I saw a clip of it recently and maybe with my husband and we're both like what is up with this choreography? They're like these like chicken arm things and Zuko's running around with this cellophane wrapper. I'm yeah, so confused. Yeah. What is what that? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. The cellophane wrapper in the commentary it was supposed to be like an allusion to co- using cellophane as condoms and condoms. that was apparently something that was in the original yeah. musical was like somebody was talking about using cellophane as condoms and so this okay. was like oh okay I think I heard that because I'm like something yeah. about condoms right okay oh yeah. got it okay that makes Not sense though yeah because he like rubs it against his crotch and everything doesn't <laughs> yeah. he and then he runs around yeah. with it yeah so yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> The funny thing is I literally never noticed that he was randomly running around with cellophane until they pointed it out in the commentary. And I'm like, oh, I guess that is weird. <laughs> it 
was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, he runs around, yeah, like, but he runs around the cellophane. Why is he doing that? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> you just take, accept it. That's what happens. Yeah, <laughs> like whatever. <laughs> People like running around with things. I don't know. Yeah, right. And this is like maybe the winner for the most sexual illusions in one song. I don't know. Like, um, oh, and I tried to look this up. So they call the car a real pussy wagon, which I didn't mm-hmm. notice for years. And then I tried to find out if pussy wagon originated as a phrase in the original musical of Greece or if it had earlier like roots. Could not mm-hmm. find evidence anywhere. And a ton of huh. people weren't even aware it was in Greece. They thought it was just from Kill Bill. So like... I mean, I don't even know. I re- if anybody out there has heard the phrase "pussy wagon" prior to the original musical of Greece, please let me know because I'm really curious. I'm just if there's okay. linguists out there in the audience, please, you know, email us feedback at everyromcom.com. <laughs> you guys are like, help, I don't care. <laughs> help Jen sleep at night, for goodness' sake. <laughs> <laughs> We've also got the lines though. Um, the chicksel, cr- you are supreme. The chicksel cream, yeah. and I can get off my rocks. Like, uh, yeah. like all this stuff going on. All this stuff I didn't understand at all when I, I was a kid again. But I'm sure I could sing along to it. And, yep. yep. <laughs> but it's it's even when you watch it back now. It's even the like the gestures and stuff. Like he mm. flicks his hand down towards his crotch at one point when he's doing that. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. They make it. Re- they make it. I don't know. Make it so obvious. But yeah, you're kind of a kid and you just don't put it together. I guess. Like they just really like this car a lot. They just love it. <laughs> they just love this car. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, did you go through a car phase, Steve? Like, I, I oh like, god, no, no. Okay, I'm, just I'm so No, no, not at all, not at all. I, I, yeah, don't know the first thing about cars and have no interest in it at all. What color is it? That's about as far as I go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So now we come to two, two sort of like non-musical scenes. We've got a diner scene. And then we've got a sports montage kind of thing. So the diner scene, it's at the Frosty Palace Diner. Um, Danny sees Sandy at the jukebox and tries to talk to her. She's hanging out with his football player. Danny then decides that he's going to try to play sports to impress Sandy. And I freaking love the next sequence. Like, it's it's so weird, like, in terms of the rest of the movie. But the sequence with John Travolta and Sid Caesar, where he's the coach and he's trying to help John Travolta find a sport to play love 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 do you do what about you two do you enjoy this uh section i skipped it this is this is the section jen that yeah i could easily i could easily yeah take a break from oh both of you (laughs) yeah between grease lighting and then and then the um beautiful dropout scene yeah that's it's just no I love this sequence. Him and Sid Caesar are so funny together because they try him on what? They try him first on basketball and he doesn't know anything about basketball and he tries to shove people. They try him on wrestling and he fails at that. They try him on baseball when he starts attacking people when he can't hit the ball. But then finally they land on track and Sid Caesar's like, long distance running <laughs> and he's just trying to make him see how cool it is and then he and then and i love the, that Sid caesar's character is so like caring about danny and so excited that he's getting one of the greasers to play sports like it's this big thing for him oh, i don't know okay i'm sorry i don't understand why you guys don't like this it makes me sad <laughs> <laughs> um, i don't even think that's like, i don't like it it's just a bit yeah it's, i just find it a bit just just takes me out of the film a little bit but i do i do like john travolta's he he's very his physical comedy his physical performance in the batting scene does always Mm -hmm. make me laugh just the way he pulls his cap down lifts his head up he kind of you know (laughs) when he gets ready to 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 bat and everything um he is he is funny in that bit but um but yeah i i could easily take or leave this 
Yeah. Wow. Uh, I'm with Steve on it. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to go back to the Frosty Palace scene. Okay. You know, mm. Sandy's sitting with the the football player. Like, they're having a little shake or whatever. And um, do you know who that actor is? That's Lorenzo Lamas. And yep. he had some TV show later on called The Renegade. <laughs> Wow. Just so awful. And he had long hair and he was on a motorcycle and whatever. And then I remember when like the renegade was on TV, my mom's like, he's the guy, he's the football player from from Greece. I was like, what? I don't believe it. Because they have his hair all dyed blonde here and everything. And yeah, so it's like all American. It's just that yeah. just cracks me up. And and he's he has a very short lived role really because like a San yeah. like Danny's doing his track thing now and Sandy yeah. sees him like doing the hurdles or whatever, but then he's getting distracted by watching Sandy. He falls down and she immediately comes like Danny. And she comes mm-hmm. over and like tries to help him. And then like, and then she like just ditches poor old Tom, like just ditches him cold. Like she yeah. to go with Danny. Like, doesn't even like just gives him a, even kind of mocks him with, with Danny, like gives him a little wave. Goodbye. Like a mocking yeah. wave. I'm like, what? Sandy's like yeah. so sweet otherwise. And here she's just like so cold. Yeah. Do you, do you know why though? Because again, this is one of the weird things that I've just uh, I only just realized from watching it. The guy's mute. The guy doesn't say a word in the whole mm-hmm. in the whole time he's in it. You never you never hear him speak. Yeah. <laughs> right. He ma- he mouths the how are you at her. Um, right. She's like she gets money off him. He doesn't say anything there. Um, <laughs> she waves at him when yeah. he's when he's um, pick, when she's picking the song and he kind of awkwardly waves back and stuff. Um, yeah, you don't hear him speak whatsoever. They probably like got him cheaper because they didn't actually have to pay him as much if you don't speak, I think. Speak. So that That's might be why. Hilarious. I love yeah. this scene with Danny and Sandy. Like I could I just I always love this like little reuniting vulnerability sweet scene. It's my favorite. The, uh, the bit on the track. On the track, yeah. 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 I, I do like the bit in the in the Frosty Palace as well, just you know, the way he again he's he's very good and it's just like don't make me laugh ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> right right very funny yeah yeah so now they're back at the frosty palace again and the whole gang kind of meets up danny's trying to hide sandy from the gang but that doesn't really last very long like that shtick like was very quickly dropped so i don't even know why they left it in but whatever um danny and sandy are together again and rizzo and kaniki start fighting and the other big thing is Frenchie has turned her hair pink by accident, which leads to the song Beauty School Dropout. And I hated this when I was a kid. I was so bored by this scene. But now I really dig this scene. Like, how about you all? Do you like this Beauty School Dropout number? Did you like it when you were a kid? Yes, I did like it when I was a kid. I think because there's lots of notice in it, like you always kind of, the more you see it, like, oh, that's the it's the pink ladies who are singing with them. And the T-birds the come in at the end, uh-huh. like kind of flying angels and stuff. And he's increasingly insulting her for some reason. So I, I did enjoy it as a kid, and, and yeah, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's fine. I don't, it's not kind of like a scene I want to skip past or anything. What we liked about it so much is that my mom is a hairstylist, a beautician, and so when the beauty school dropout thing came on, it was you know talk about teasing hair and stuff like this, and the rollers. Like I saw all that growing up. So, and that was definitely the height of. What, how my mom learned how to do hair was teasing and the hairspray and the rollers mm. and that whole thing was her her up and coming how to do hair um so that had like a little f- personal element to it and uh i could i could watch this or i would skip through it i would do a little half and half on this one 
Yeah, when I was a kid, this is maybe the only scene I would actually skip. Maybe this and Hopelessly Devoted to You. But now, like, I really get a kick out of the scene so much. And I just, like, love the line that he sings at the end, like, Frankie Avalon. Like, he's this angel that comes, her guardian angel, that comes to see um, Frenchie. And he basically, like you said, Steve, insults her, like, you know, her abilities as a beautician, right? Mm -hmm. But the end part where he goes, gotta be going to that malt shop in the sky like it's just like, like i don't know why that line it just it's i get such a kick out of it i don't know why it's amazing <laughs> and um the thing about this scene though frankie avalon he's like such an icon it's so good that they got him but yeah. like apparently he was afraid of heights and he has to descend this like big white staircase and apparently he had a really hard time doing it he was so afraid so they play had to place mattresses next to the stairs like so <gasps> oh. that they wouldn't show in the camera <laughs> And I totally relate, man. I wouldn't want to like go down the stairs without railings either. I feel you. Oh, poor Frankie. He acted it well. Yeah. He acted it well. You you wouldn't, you wouldn't have thought so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I dig this number now. I think it's such a good comic camp over the top thing. And that's the thing. This is another weird thing, right? Like the love is a many splendored thing is kind of weird and over the top. This is definitely weird and over the top. There's just every so often this movie breaks out into absurdity. Yeah. So we go, shall we go on now to the national bandstand scene? Yes. Which this is such, for me, this whole scene is such an achievement. Just like when I watch it now, I'm like the sheer amount of choreography and coordination and like how it's a very long scene, but it just feels like I could keep watching it for a very long time. And to have that in just a music and dance number and to have so much characterization show up at the same time, I think is really a phenomenal achievement. Yeah. This is by far my favorite part of the film. I love this part. Really? Yeah, I think so. I like parts of it. Parts of it got long for me as a kid. But uh, yeah, looking back and knowing that they only had two months to film and they had this scene to film, like, do we know how long it took? Yeah, it it took five days to shoot this. And but it was filmed like in very hot conditions in at Huntington Huntington High School like the and it was so hot in there they didn't have AC that Michael Michael Tucci who plays Sonny actually fainted and had to be taken to the hospital during Ooh. filming. Yeah, how did they well, do know. it without sweating to death and like having that yeah. not show up on film? Oh, yeah, gross. yeah. But the, but the thing is, again, you watch it now and there's like um. So like the the guy who like slide that he does a really amazing knee slide right across the floor and Kaniki <laughs> when he comes in and like kind of is doing the hand drive and goes down onto the floor on his back and stuff. I mean those both look like they've been dancing for five days straight in really hot <laughs> conditions. You know, I mean, there's the shirts are pulled, the shirts are pulled wide open, there's sweat dripping off of them. But then this is the bit that makes me laugh in it because either. John Travolta was so kind of, you know, just used to exhausting himself on Saturday Night Fever dancing so much, or they just, you know, made sure that he was, he was the star and he mm-hmm. was kept um, healthy. Mm-hmm. He just looks when he comes in at the end doing the, like the gun thing with Olivia Newton, John and kind uh-huh. of the, the whip and stuff. Um, he looks fan. He looks great. He looks like he's just, you know, he hasn't, he's not breaking a sweat. He's not breaking any yeah. breath. He's just, you know, going Good for point. it. Yeah. Good their point. entrance in the scene, the music swells a certain way when Sandy and Danny come in and they're like, mm. look so suave and their costumes are so simple also mm-hmm. compared to the rest of the cast that they really stand out in this fantastic way. Like that is yeah. so smartly filmed and costumed yeah. and everything. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Just amazing. 
Um, some other things to note about this scene. So the 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 conceit of this film, this section is that their school has been chosen to be on like this sort of fake American bandstand, national bandstand, and and the school is supposed to be on their best behavior and have this like dance off for this show. And um, the band Shana Na, which is kind of this like which was kind of this 1970s band that played like 50 songs, they play the band in the movie Johnny Casino and the Gamblers. And there's a variety of 50 songs they play in the movie, including Hound Dog, Those Magic Changes, Born to Hand Jive, and Blue Moon. And I, I, I love their performance in the movie. Like, I, I didn't always love 50 songs when I was a kid, but I would always accept these because they were in Greece. Okay. And, and like, there's a lot going on in this scene. There's a lot of moving pieces. Like, Kanicki and Rizzo are broken up in this scene, and they're each at the dance with someone from the rival school gang. Like, so... Rizzo's there with uh, the leader of the Scorpions and then Kaniki's there with Cha-Cha Di Gregorio, who's this like kind of hot like chick from the other school. And you've also got Frenchie's back at school. She's out of beauty school and she's, which one is she dating again? She's with duty or something. Yeah. And he calls her a beautiful blonde pineapple. That's what he (laughs) says she looks like. (laughs) And yeah, and then Marty is being hit on by the host of National Bandstand, Vince Fontaine, and she's like totally eating it up. And I was always kind of, I hate to say it, when I was a kid, I totally shipped them. Okay. I was like, oh, I like this. I like this for her. But it's so creepy when you watch him now. You're like, oh, <laughs> like, maybe yeah. not. Oh, God. Yeah. He's this dirty man hitting on a teenager. <laughs> Yeah. Any other observations about like this scene, like uh, the dancing, anything else that you want to talk about? I love how they tell the story so much through um, just through the dancing and yeah. and uh, with the positioning of the characters and stuff. And I, and I just love the background stuff as well. When they cut to the bleachers and the people are doing the hand drive, when they cut to the bleachers mm-hmm. and there's those girls there who obviously haven't got dates. And that guy comes over and, you know, just kind of gives her his hand. And she's like, oh, my God, I got picked and kind of goes out. <laughs> yeah. and just as little, there's there's a what there's one guy I only see him in because a lot of the dancers, obviously, you can tell are in lots of other scenes within the film. Mm-hmm. But there's this one guy, like a bit really big guy. And he's uh, Sandy runs past him when yes. she leaves. And then it cuts back to him when he's watching. Um, Oh, Chacha? Uh, Danny and yeah. Chacha, yeah. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, go yeah, for it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty um, sure that's the chore- I'm pretty sure that was the choreographer's son. The choreographer's son okay. was in the, the, the scene, and okay. I'm pretty sure that's him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he looks yeah. like he's like way into this. He looks like oh, the guy's okay. looked for the entire Grease Lightning number. And again, he looks like he's been sweating his balls off for five days <laughs> in, a, in a gym. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We all know who we're talking about. That cut and that guy. Like, just, oh, yeah. man. Funny, yeah, the, that's, that's guy, why it's my favorite part again is you just pick out so many different things yeah. all the time that's the guy who's way too into danny and cha-cha together yeah and so like what yeah. happens there is like danny and sandy are dancing they're obviously going to win the contest everything's going well and then all of a sudden like sunny like steals sandy off of danny and then try, takes her away and then cha-cha moves in right away on danny like just like run it right up to him and takes him away and then they end up winning the dance contest and it always made me so sad when i was a kid too oh yeah yeah, because then they cut to Sandy looking back and then like yeah. leaving, just like what? Yeah. Yep. But I gotta say, Cha Cha is pretty fabulous too. Like I can't hate on her entirely because she's pretty fabulous. Tell me, can you hate on Cha Cha? Uh, I I kind of do. Well, because we also okay, get okay. Uh, you know, 
kind of notified that Chacha and Danny dated and had a pass. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she moves in on, on, you know, the dance, the dance that wasn't hers. She wasn't winning. She came in, moved in. Mm. That's not nice. By the way, is there anyone Danny didn't date? Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Danny, Danny, Danny. I mean, even Patty Simcox is all like, Danny, call yeah. me. Like, what? Oh yeah. 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 He's been around a little bit there. Yep. But he, he anyway. really loves Sandy. He just keeps effing up. Fool. Yep, he does. All right. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I think I know what you said, Steve, about the way the story is told through like um, the dance. Totally. 100%. Yeah, same. And it's just so many funny things are happening all the time. Like um, the kind of like secretary or assistant principal or whatever is dancing with poor old Tom. <laughs> like he's been ditched. <laughs> Like people like uh, people like pull Patty Simcox's skirts up as a prank, which is not cool. But like, you know, it's stuff that's going on in the background. So there's all kinds of stuff happening. All right. So we're going to get to our spoiler section again. So it kind of seems silly to have a spoiler section for Greece because I feel like everyone has seen this. But if we are one of the random people who hasn't seen Greece, please, by all means, go and see Greece. And now we're going to start the spoiler section. All right, we're at the drive-in movie now, which in a 1950s movie, you basically have to have a drive-in movie scene. Is that not true? True. It's still my dream to go to a drive-in. I've never been. I don't know if I've been. I think maybe when I was a little kid, but I don't remember it well. Same. I'd like to go to to a drive-in, definitely. It'd be a good experience. Yeah, and we enter this drive-in movie scene with a trailer for The Blob from 1958, which is perfect. Okay, have you guys seen The Blob? It's such a cheesy film. No. But my husband was actually terrified of it when he was a kid, too. So if you ever watch The Blob, just keep in mind that my husband found this terrifying as a child. (laughs) Oh, poor Lee. (laughs) And um, Danny in the scene is asking Sandy to wear his ring, which is like at the time a sign that you were dating exclusively or going steady, just for the very young people who might not know these terms. Um, at the at the also at the drive-in, we've got Rizzo tells Marty that she thinks she's pregnant, and then we get an example of Marty tells one of the T-birds, and we see the gossip go from person to person to person until just in the space it takes Rizzo to walk back to the car, Kaniki's already found out and confronts her about it. Damn. Too real. The, the choreography <laughs> in that, the choreography in that is brilliant. The way they just like whisper across all the mm-hmm. all the cars and stuff. And um, again, first I'm really noticing it. Sonny, what an asshole. He's the one that broke up, um, you know, um, Danny and yeah. Sandy at the at the bandstand. He's the one who started spreading. Well, I know Marty said it to him, but um, yeah. No, like, just, yeah. It's not like it was his best friend he told. It was just like yeah. random people. Yeah. like, hey, Rizzo's pregnant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. Rizzo got a bun in the oven. Yeah. Yeah. He's Sonny's, Sonny is a bit of a doof. He's probably yeah. my least favorite. Yeah. Also, my least favorite T-Bird. Yeah, I don't have any use for Sonny, really. Sorry, Mr. Latier. And he gets with Marty. He's the one who's supposed to get with Marty at the end. I mean, that. Yeah, Yeah, no, no. Yeah. They're just friends. I don't think they're really together. She's far too good for him. Yep. Yeah, she's she's writing to all her soldiers and Vince Fontaine, so. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So then after Dandy's given Sandy his ring, he tries to make a move on her, like tries to start like making out with her and she rejects him and is offended and she leaves the drive in. And it's kind of like a little bit rapey there. I don't know. Like from a modern perspective, the way he makes a move on Sandy is not cool. It's, it's creepy. He's a bit of a, 
you know, well, they're all they're all quite pesty, you know, aren't they? Yeah. That's that's one thing that really comes out now watching it. All of them are quite are quite sex pesty. It's played for in the film. I think it's played. It's meant to be played for laughs. I mm-hmm, think because mm-hmm. um, the way he acts on it and just like he's hesitating with his hands going over to her breast. And yeah, the way he's like puts his head up. Oh, it's right. No one's watching. It's fine. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, it's kind of played for laughs. But yeah, it's a bit. Um, it's a bit on the uh, on the creepy side. Yeah, I, they've kissed before, so I don't. You know, we saw that on the beach, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and they've. You know, so I don't know why it's so awkward right now. He tries, right to, now. Like, he tries yeah. to like launch himself on top of her. I think is the thing, and it's like in public, and she's like, mm, I don't know about yeah. this. So yeah. yeah, he's trying to push. He's trying to push things further at the beach as well, isn't he? In the in the very yeah. first scene, yeah. she's like, oh. oh no, don't spoil it and stuff because yeah. he's trying to mm-hmm. make things go a bit further. And I think, like, you know, it is a little bit sex pesty, yeah, like, as you said, and as I said, but, like, I also think it's incredibly true to the time of the 1950s and the 1970s, and really the 1990s. It was only very recently that we started to, like, look at this a little more critically, the way that, like, um, people would kind of pressure each other to go to the next level in relationships. So, yeah, things change. So after Sandy leaves, Danny sings a song, which in this movie is Sandy. The original musical had a song called Alone at a Drive-In Movie, which is kind of like the same topic, but like the lyrics are super cheesy. I got to read some of them. I'm all alone at the drive-in movie. It's a feeling that ain't too groovy watching werewolves without you. And then he does like a werewolf howl. Gee, it's no fun drinking beer in the backseat all alone. Just ain't too neat at the passion pit wanting you. And when the intermission elf moves the clock's hands while he's eating everything sold at the stands, when there's one minute to go till the lights go down low, I'll be holding the speaker knobs missing you. So, oh, oh. Anyway, it's like there's a whole bunch of stuff. It's way more played for laughs. So it would just be a totally different mood. You know what I mean? And the song in the movie ends up being kind of touching, I think. And yeah. I mean, it's it's not it's like not the best song ever, but it was written for the movie by Louis St. Louis and Scott Simon. And it's just like much more about like his John Travolta singing about his hopes for them being together. And it's sweet, I thought. Totally sweet. I love this song. I could listen to it over and over again because I just love his yeah. voice too. Yeah. Really well performed by um by uh, John Travolta as well. Yeah. And I love, okay, the concession stand footage in the background, the cartoon footage that's on the screen in back of him. So it was a last minute choice to put it in, but it like plays so perfectly with the song. And I love, I love if you watch it, notice that the hot dog jumps back into the bun right at the end of the song. So he finishes <laughs> the song and then the hot dog jumps back into the bun. And for me, that's like very symbolic, right? I mean, it could be very yeah. sexually symbolic, but just like the two things are brought together again. You see what I'm saying? I see what you're saying. Right? it just works on so many levels i'm like how is this last minute like how did this perfect thing happen for them like amazing anyway that's me obsessing about the hot dog in the bun (laughs) (laughs) that's what this podcast should be called or this this episode the hot hot dog in the bun bun. (laughs) grease the hot dog in the bun (laughs) oh All right, so let's move on to There Are Worst Things I Could Do. And this is um, a song where Rizzo talks about the gossip around her being pregnant. And I'm going to just play a clip of that if you all are okay with that. Yeah. All right. It actually might be a long clip, but I think it deserves it. That's the one I was telling you about. (laughs) There are worse things I could do than go with a boy or two. Even though the neighborhood thinks I'm trashy and no good, I 
suppose it could be true, but there are worse things I could do. I could flirt with all the guys. Smile at cut it there because it could really listen to the whole song but like we don't need to but like yeah what do you all feel about this number i've always liked this one same yeah i the song was almost cut by producer alan carb but starcar channing pleaded for it to be left in which i think was a was a brilliant move because it it just turns our character into so much more of a a rounded character as well you know yeah. all of all of the main kind of characters have some kind of change or flip in their in their character or their personality or have a moment of vulnerability in the film um if this isn't there, Rizzo doesn't have hers. And it, I think it's um, yet yeah, to the perfect moment. It doesn't slow the film down too much. And you just got that kind of little slow bit before the, the Thunder Road scene. Yeah, it really humanizes her and under, makes mm. you understand what she's going through as well. Definitely. Yeah. And the interesting thing about this song, though, I think is like she's saying like she's t- she's basically she's being slut shamed. She's being like shamed for having sex. Right. By the other girls. But like. It's interesting, like this, it's that's feminist, I think, to have a woman standing up for herself and being able to be sexual. But then, like, she's kind of getting down on girls who, like, quote unquote, tease guys. So, like, which, which girls should be allowed to, like, you know, go up to the line and not have sex too? So, it's interesting, like, this was kind of like the limited options that kind of women felt for themselves, I think, maybe in the 50s and the 70s. Like, you could be a tease or you could be, a slut or you could be a prude you couldn't just like express like have boundaries right or just mm-hmm. date and like dis- make decisions without being labeled something you know what i mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and yeah and i don't know like i don't know how critical the song is of that maybe the song's trying to be critical of that dichotomy but i feel like it's maybe accepted that like it at the yeah. same time you know what i mean it mm-hmm. doesn't really prevent present a way in which all women can kind of support each other in their decisions necessarily yeah. So Thunder Road scene, um, this is the whole purpose of Grease Lightning, the car, is that they're going to race the car at Thunder Road and like they're going to race it against the Scorpions. We haven't really talked much about the Scorpions. There's just like leader of the Scorpions with this like really acne pocked kind of face or whatever. Like, and he's always jeering. He's always looking like he's, he kind of reminds me actually of the like naughty bully kid in the Christmas story, if you know what I'm talking about. Like, <laughs> yes. Like, obviously, it's not the same actor, but I, I feel uh-huh. like they're the same person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway. Just mean and terrorizing <laughs> people because they can. And, 
Yeah, and jeering all the time. Anyway, so so like there's like Mr. Scorpion and he's racing against them in his black car or whatever. And at the beginning of the scene, we get this kind of bromance between Kaniki and Danny where Kaniki's like, if anything happens to me, you'll be my second. And then they give each other like a little hug, but then they're like, oh, no, too cool to hug. And they got to like brush their hair back or comb their hair back. Well, I think in the commentary, they talk about that, like. Again, in this this 50s time, especially these tough greaser dudes, like showing any kind of vulnerability um, was like really outside the norm. And so that was, you know, again, emotional maturity and, and being vulnerable, like they're best friends. And why not be like, love you, man? You know, <laughs> they yeah. would never have done that. Yeah, yeah. And let's see, Kaniki does then get knocked out. So Danny has to drive for him. And we've got this Rebel Without a Cause homage with um, Chacha de Gregorio gets the flags to start the race, like a straight homage to that movie. And I just wanted to shout out the filming location of this. This was filmed at the 6th Street Viaduct, which was once a very famous filming location in Hollywood. Now that whole space is being totally reimagined. But did anyone else like straight away recognize, like when they saw Terminator 2 Judgment Day, you were like, oh, that's Greece. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 definitely. Like you've listened a few here, but yeah, definitely in, in a few films after after that. Yeah, like True Lies, To Live and Die in L.A., Repo Man, Dark Knight Rises, all have had parts filmed at the Sixth Street Viaduct. So it's this like really famous location. Um, I was going to say more about it, but like in the interest of making a shorter episode, I'll just put some links if you want to read more about that as a filming location in the show notes. It's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. And okay. Anything yeah. anyone wants to say about this Thunder Road race, this scene? Did you like this when you were growing up? Like for me, like car racing wasn't really my thing. I just wanted them to sing some more. But did either of you think, oh, yeah, this is so cool? I did. Yeah, I enjoyed this scene. Again, I'm not never really been into cars and stuff like that. But, you know, I enjoy a good car chase scene in, in a film. The more I watch it nowadays and then get back in that, I think Kaniki's probably my favorite character in the film. Okay. Um, so blessing me just looks like a bit of a kind of bit of a doofus here, obviously. Um, <laughs> And um, I don't know what the concussion protocols were like back in the in the fifties and seventies, <laughs> but he seemed to clear up from it pretty well. He was he was on the sidelines cheering on when um, Danny was racing. So yeah, um, but yes, no, I think this is a brilliant scene. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as like the most suspenseful I would ever dare to like let myself watch in the show. <laughs> well, really? <laughs> okay. It, yeah, you know, sure. As a little child, anyway, as a little kid. How the scorpion leader, like, he's a big cheater. He's got those, like, mm. razors and, you know. But then yeah. Danny gets him at the end and it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those, like, little good and evil signifiers. If you didn't already get it from the black car versus the white car, right? Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Yep. And so Sandy's watching this whole race from afar. Danny wins the race and Sandy's kind of looking on wistfully. And then she sings her little, tiny little song of... Uh, call back to Sandra D. She says, look at me, there has to be something more than what they see. Wholesome and pure, oh so scared and unsure. A poor man, Sandra D. And it's so, that that part is so sad to me though, because she's yeah. like th- saying like, she's not enough somehow. You know what I'm yep. like? I'm like, no girl, you're perfect. Like why, yep. why go over there and watch the race with everybody else just the way you are now. But like, she's like, no, no. She looks utterly know. beautiful in that scene. She's wearing this pretty peach colored dress and her hair's kind of, you know, clipped back a little bit. She looks yeah. darling. 
And she's yeah. supposed to be like, I'm not good enough. I know it's such a, I'm so conflicted about this. Okay. Because yes, I love what happens to her in the next scene. I love right. it. She's yes. amazing <laughs> and so hot. But at the same time, I'm like, no one has ever looked as pretty as you look right now, Olivia Newton-John as Sandy, like and the cute Sandy, like no one. And like, come on, like you shouldn't have to change. Like, like he could just like, like wait a little bit to have sex with you or something and it'll be fine. And he, he, he won't <laughs> die. I don't know. Or you could have sex looking like that. You don't have to dress up differently to have sex. Right. right. And then the next scene, she's got like a smoking habit too. So that's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we can spoil things now. So yeah, like the whole transition, this is like probably one of like the most debated about things in this entire movie, the transition from Sandy looking like a pure good girl to going into this like black leather skin tight outfit and the permed hair and the smoking and the red heels. Like that's like whether she should have done that, what that says about being a woman. I think that's one of the biggest topics about this film. Like what yeah. have you ever did you think about it when you were young? Did you think about it when you were no. older? Not at all. No. Didn't think about it at no. all. Like when you're older, even did you like kind of think about like, oh, this is kind of weird. I mean, yeah, it's like wah wah, like and you know, <laughs> gotta like I don't know, change yourself for the guy or whatever. But mm. I mean, don't forget when we get to this end scene. Danny comes out with his letter jacket and his friends mm, yeah. are like, what are you doing? Are you deserting us? And he's like, I just, you know, Sandy means a lot and I want to do anything to get her back. So he yeah. did make some effort to quote unquote yeah. change as well. It's not as dramatic, you know, yeah. um, but. And he quickly dispenses with the sweater. Like as right. soon as she shows up <laughs> right. with her thing. Yeah. Right. Um, I got a feel. I always get a feeling that she's not going to stay like that as well. I think there's a bit of a middle oh, yeah. ground that's going to okay. be met there. Um, I always kind of got that sense, especially with what happens right at the end. Let's talk about this like freaking iconic outfit of hers, though, that she shows up in. So everybody's yeah. like at this like fair after the Thunder Road. They're just like apparently when you graduate high school in the 1950s, you yeah. got a giant fun fair at your school. Which come on, um, and yeah. but like so they show up at this fair. They're all talking about Danny making fun of him for his letter for his letter jacket. And then all of a sudden you hear this, ding, ding, do, 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 do. like, I can't do the yeah. music at all. Like music. it's a sexy music show shows up and Sandy walks into the frame and everybody's whistling and like, whoa. And like, Danny's like, Sandy, <laughs> like, which I'm going to play a clip of in a second. <laughs> but like that, she's wearing skin tight black pants, like some kind of black leather. off the shoulder, tight yeah. shirt, leather jacket, red lipstick, permed, puffed out hair and red shoes. What's interesting about this too, is that this look in the movie um, Olivia Newton-John had had a kind of pure natural look up to that point. And it was after this movie a little bit, she actually went and did this album. I think the album was called Totally Hot, or maybe there's just a song on it called that. But this is when she went into her Let's Get Physical phase and she went Totally mm -hmm. Hot, had all these like sexy songs on it. And she actually has one of her albums in the 80s where she has a riding crop and she's like doing playing with like a BDSM look. So like Olivia Newton-John herself did a transition at some okay. point. So I, I find that interesting. very interesting. Yeah. Madonna like, face. Life imitating art kind of thing. And mm -hmm. like when she, and she said that when she showed up in the scene, when she was wearing, wearing this outfit, she said she really did feel like the people were reacting to her like that in reality too, that they were For just sure. bowled over by how hot she was. It's one <laughs> of the things I think is great, is great about the film is you can tell, you can see in the film that 
John Travolta, the actor, not not in character, is completely just staring at her ass the whole time um, <laughs> when they're when they're performing. And I just love that they keep that in because it's just like, wow, oh my God, I just cannot take my eyes off off this woman. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, she had to be sewn into those pants. So, that made oh, me feel God. a little yeah. bit better about never being able to replicate that Halloween costume, like ever. Like she actually had to be sewn in. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, let me play a clip of like this this happening. <laughs> I'm going to cut it off there because everybody knows the song, right? We don't need to play the whole thing. <laughs> you guys should have seen me lip sync into this shit, though. I was like, really, like I had to. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. We could have made a really entertaining takes- video podcast just now. <laughs> it, every bit, every one of these songs just takes me back to being that kid who's like, I totally want to be her and I mm. want him to be my boyfriend. And, mm. and, and I just love it. I love it. Yeah, this is a great number. This is fantastic. Um, They choreographed this number on the spot, according to um, an interview with Vanity Fair. And it was filmed in seven hours. And they added close-ups of Travolta and Newton-John's heads later. But, like, everything else, they choreographed this on the spot with that, like, um, fun house and everything. Wow. Like, amazing. Wow. Like, they lucked out. Like, so many things had to go right. Like, something was watching over this movie, I feel. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like some productions just come together like magically like that. Yep. Just shows how well they got the casting right as well in, in those two. Yeah. Yeah. Just able to do that on the on the fly like that. Yeah, and this song, I love this song. I've also sung both parts of this song in karaoke. Um Travolta part is better too. Electrify, and it's just so much more fun. Um <laughs> This song also was written and produced by John Farah. It reached number one in the US, UK, and Australia, and it is one of the best-selling singles of all time. Estimated uh, 15 million copies have been sold worldwide. And wow. yeah. Anything more about this section other than like how we all want to be her? Like, <laughs> well, I don't know if Steve wants to be her. Steve Steve might want to be John Travolta. But... <laughs> I probably do want to be uh, John Travolta in this scene, but um, I just think it, the way that they did choreograph it and just, you know, he's just it just shines such a light on um olivia newton john in this in this section like you know all the everything that he does is not submissive but he's just following her he's chasing her and um you know just riding around on the floor just completely you know <laughs> subservient to her and stuff it's it's uh it's really um yeah it's a real just this is a, a dream goddess who's just landed here yeah Tell uh, me about you know it, that Stan. move at the <laughs> end <laughs> 
Which the, one? The, their little move at the end where they're coming down the stairs. My sister and I uh, yeah. would do that at our grandmother's house. Oh, the front step. You mean with your with the like, with the thumbs in the pants so, and they're kind yep. of just like yeah, they're kind yep. of like cowboy mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Nice. <laughs> I wish I had. I, I hope there's like a photo of that somewhere, Sophia. That would be amazing. no, there isn't, but it's wow, in my memory bad. forever. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then this number goes into "We Go Together," which was um, in the original musical. Um, they had four to five days of rehearsals for this scene, and this is where Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta join the rest of the their gang, and then also the school, like people from the whole school, kind of show up. And people are like the gang are kind of paired off, but then there's also people from the school just dancing with them, and. Yeah, and the end of the song is like a refrain. We'll always be together. And I think it's interesting because I don't like I don't think it's intended to be very serious. Like I think it's like the movie's almost playing with the idea that everybody says that at the end of high school and then you're not yeah. always together. What do you mm-hmm. think? Well, I don't know. For the for this story and for these people, you know, they even say they're like, what's gonna happen after graduation? And you know, what if we never see each other again? And I think they do in my dream. Like I I never really thought that they were all going to stay together. I kind of had the feeling that like, it's just like playing off that thing that we all say. And Patty Simcox hands out the yearbooks at the end. Uh, But I do like how the yearbooks though, them play into the end credits and you see yearbook pictures and the end credits and stuff. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, it's a good way, good way to do it. But it's like it's definitely a a fro- that kind of frozen moment in time, isn't it? That kind of you know last day of school, last you know before yeah. everyone does go off and do their own things. But it's um yeah, it ends mm-hmm. it on a very positive note, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it ends it like I said as a bookend to the over the top shit happening at the beginning of the movie. Sandy and Danny get into grease lightning, and then the car just like flies off into the sunset like it flies it like flies. they're going to heaven like they've yeah. died like like Sandy yeah. and Danny like like Danny <laughs> crashed into Sandy at Thunder Road and they both died and like they're, they're this is a dream sequence I don't know that's a new new possible spin on the movie that I just came up with off out of just my ass. the commentary say why <laughs> they ended it that way I don't I don't remember I don't, remember. I don't think I, read, I don't... wrote it down if they did but it is it is insane though at the same yeah. time don't you think Totally. What is this flying into the clouds? Yeah. <laughs> Jen, did you really just pull that out of your ass? Just then? I did. Just, I literally just really... came up with that interpretation. Yeah. Have you ever have you ever heard that there is there is a proper fan theory about the film? Really? Have you never heard that before? No, no. Oh wow. Okay, so it, it is quite it's quite short, but the um there's a fan theory that basically at the start of the film, the um on the beach, mm-hmm. um Sandy drowns. Oh or is pulled from the sea. So you know the whole line about you know she she went uh, she got a cramp I had to save the life she nearly drowned. So they said that she actually did drown and that basically everything that happens in the in the film is like a like a coma fantasy. And then right. the, the bit right at the end is her dying because she's going off into heaven with with Danny and in her, you know that's the that's the film that's the film theory about it. I like oh, my, I like I do like mine better because she's sitting on like the racetrack area. Like I mean, I guess she's sitting past the finish line, but nevertheless, I wouldn't trust those cars to stop. See what I'm saying? I don't know. <laughs> what about what about in the beginning where like a wave, you know, smashes into them? Maybe they were sucked back into the water. Oh, okay, they're, okay, they're both dead. Okay, they're both dead. <laughs> yeah, having this dream coma together. Well, in any event, it ends on a happy note. They're probably just 
or have Chitty Chitty Bang Bang now or something. They they retrofitted Grease Lightning, so it's like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and it, that's fine. Okay, so I really I said in the opening that we we're going to talk a little bit about like Grease as a feminist or not feminist film, and I do want to touch on it a little bit. I know we talked a little bit about it here and there. What is your impression of this film? Do you think it's an overall positive message for women or feminism or neutral, or do you think it has like some bad things in it? And Steve, you're totally fine to talk about this too. I don't subscribe to the idea that guys shouldn't get to have their say about these things. So, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I'm always very careful treading on this this kind of uh, topic because I, I really never want to say the the wrong thing or wrong thing or offend anybody. But in my in my opinion, just kind of summing up, I think I think it's got a lot of strong female figures in in different ways in the film. So, like you mentioned, some of the um, you know the principal, the the kind of car shop main kind of mechanic um both female strong female characters um you know sandy defends herself more than once um when danny's making moves on her she's got very she sticks to her morals constantly you know rizzo in a way you know she just kind of Mm -hmm. she does what she wants to do she takes what she wants um and for most of the film it seems like you know she's quite impervious to what other people think of her obviously that doesn't um, ring true when she sings her song um but yeah, and so I think it's much more of uh, the the guys are all all the almost all of the male characters in it are all quite sex pesty, apart from um, Putsy. You know, he's very yeah, he's very um, nice kind of respectful with, with Jan and respectful with Jan. Yeah, definitely. Um, but all of them have got their their way, and maybe that's just a, a commentary on maybe oh, in the, even in the 50s Putsy. A bit. Wait a second. Know. Wait a second. Even Putsy though looks under that girl's oh, yeah, skirt. Looking at the girl's skirt. No, you're right. No, yeah. you're completely right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's nice to jam, um, but yeah, random girl. He's upskirting her, so yeah, no, yeah. not cool. But no, you're right. No, 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 that's correct. Yeah, um, but anyway, yeah, that was my that was my cut. Yeah, no, I I think like it is a stronger film for the female characters. I think in general, actually, even though you've got this like Travolta and Kinnicky are both like really like charismatic, charismatic, but I think you spend more time with the girls overall. I want to say, and it passes the Bechdel test so many times, which I love. Um, and not even just the main girls talking to each other, but the principal and her assistant talking to each other. And like, just these random women having conversations and like women at the the restaurant, right? Like they all get to talk, which I love. So I think there is a lot of strong things for women. I do think there's a lot of mixed messages though. Like Sandy can be who she wants, but also she has to change. Um, Rizzo stands up for herself, but she does it while yeah. saying that these other girls are teases. So it's it's always very like, it's always very a little bit good, a little bit bad. But I think maybe in the late 70s, this is about as feminist as you're going to get in this kind of mainstream light entertainment. Like there were definitely very feminist films coming out at the time, but they were more independent, dramatic films, not so much on this scale. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's it's a very interesting combination. I think overall, the movie did give me mostly good messages, although I also did really want to wear skin tight pants and be whistled at, <laughs> admittedly. <laughs> Admittedly. <laughs> I don't know, Sophia, what is your overall impression? That's if funny. you were showing this to your daughter, for example, would there be things that you would tell her, hey, ABG, like, like, watch out for this message? Or like, what, what would you what was your impression? Yeah, I think we would. Yeah, golly gee. Uh, if I were watching it with ABG, uh, we would. I'd be like, I would just say, I'd be like, that's garbage. That's trash. <laughs> You know, you don't have to change, right? You do you. And she'd be like, Mama, I know that already. So um, I think she pretty does a pretty good job of, you know, doing her own thing and her own self. So, yeah. Yeah. And overall, do you like, do you like think that it left a positive impression on you as a female child growing up? Or like, what do you think? No, probably not. Like, I probably, oh, no. okay, okay. even, even at that young age being like, oh, this is 
these are good girls. These are bad girls. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. And like yeah. definitely identified with the good girl. Um, and I would say probably stayed on that uh, trajectory um, my whole life. So um, anyway, probably not. But well, that's an that's an interesting question. Yeah. Like, who, who's the character that you identify with the most? Then is it Sandy pre-change or like, uh, is there a different character? Probably Sandy pre-change. Like- but like, okay. I did like I don't know when I was in college and stuff like that. People were like, oh, you'd be a good Rizzo, and I'm like nice. Rizzo. Um, but I totally would have done it. That would have been. I mean, it, but it would have been like the absolute opposite of me. Like Frenchie, it felt like Frenchie too. You know. Okay, yeah, I see that. You're a very friendly mm-hmm. person. You're very good. Mm-hmm. You're a good friend. You're a good friend to ladies, which Frenchie is. Thanks. So yeah. yeah, I always wanted to be a Marty and a Sandy post change. I, so, yeah. I was so naughty. Anyway, but yeah. yeah. And Steve, anybody you identify with? You said you like Kanicki, or do you identify with <laughs> Kanicki? I don't identify with Kanicki now, but um. I find him the co- I find him the coolest in it. I think, right. um, but uh, but yeah, no, no, not really any characters that I uh, that I connect with any like that at all. And that to me, that gives more evidence that the women are the strong ones in this, the character wise. You know what I'm saying? Because there's like, because we could both yeah. think of multiple women characters. We're like, yeah, yeah, and you're kind of like, mm. I don't know if the guys were developed as much. There's, yeah, I would say they're not. So, yeah. top three songs in the movie, as quick as you can. Uh, Grease Lightning, Summer Nights. You're the one that I want. Okay. I'm going to go with You're the One That I Want. Um, oh, shit. I'm not going fast enough. Sophia, go ahead. I'll think of the other two. Summer Nights, uh, Hopelessly Devoted, and You're the One That I Want. Okay. Okay. So you're all Olivia. I'm going to go with mm-hmm. You're the you're the One That I Want still. This is really surprising, but I'm going to go with Beauty School Dropout because it's really grown on me okay. over time. And oh, I find cool. it hilarious at this point. And, um, shit. Yeah. Now I'm, ha- I didn't prepare well enough. And Sandy, I think the thing Sandy, is because yes, I didn't really I like those when I was younger, but Sandy and beauty school dropout have really grown on me. And you're the one that I want is like an all timer for me. Like that's just like, right. we'll never die. So yeah. All right. Any I final thoughts? Of- you're the one that I want with Sandy. Anyway. Really? Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's do our double feature recommendations. So I'm going to do my batch first. And my batch is um, two Travoltas and an ONJ. So (laughs) I wanted to do three Travoltas, but I kept watching Travolta films and not liking them as much. So yeah. So my number one recommendation is Saturday Night Fever from 1977. I think it's a very different movie than Grease, like very different. Um, What it has in common is Travolta's magnetism, his charisma, and his excellent dancing, like he is phenomenal in this movie. If you've never seen it, at least watch his YouTubes of the dancing that he does in this movie because it's fantastic. Otherwise, it's a very dark movie. Um, but I think it's probably very true to life in some ways about what life was like for certain people in the 1970s. Um, very dark things about gender relations in this movie. And Travolta is not playing a very likable character. He's playing really a darker z- version of a Danny Zuko character, of a player. Uh, but it's very deep too. Like there's a lot going on in this film. It can be very uncomfortable to watch as a woman though. So like, just be warned about that. You're not going to get a fun, happy disco time in this movie that's there, but there's also like really dark stuff happening. Um, Second bubble feature recommendation is Pulp Fiction, 1994. Rewatched it recently to prepare for this episode. And the Travolta bits like are pretty much my favorite parts of the movie. Like Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson to me are like the standout people in the film. Like I'll watch the whole rest of the film too. And I really like it still, but like 
he is you can't take your eyes off him as Vincent Vega. He's it's such a great performance and his chemistry with Samuel L. Jackson is fantastic. And of course you also get Travolta dancing in Pulp Fiction with Uma Thurman in the Jackrabbit Slim scene. And it's such a joy. And you got to think Quentin Tarantino was just geeking out getting to direct John Travolta dancing. Don't you think? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure you can find a clip on YouTube of him directing the scene and yeah. him dancing off camera to, to when, when he's watching them <laughs> film it. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, anyone wants to listen to my uh, episode of Pulp Fiction, the very first episode I ever did. And yeah, nice. I spent a lot of time talking about um, John Travolta in that film. I think he's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And then my final double feature recommendation, I'm going with a swing to Olivia Newton-John, 1980s Xanadu, which we did an episode on Xanadu, which I won't go into humongous detail about it here because you can listen to our episode, which we Sybil and I geek out on this movie quite a bit. But the reason to watch it is I think it's Olivia Newton-John's other best performance in a film. And it's the film overall is a little bit over the top and like has some really strange things going on, but it really commits to what it is. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. Production design over the top. Another amazing soundtrack. This one with ELO cooperating with Olivia Newton-John and John Farah. Just, just check it out. If you've never seen it, it's like an experience. All right. Those are mine. Excellent. Um, so I said Grease 2. I know this is controversial. People either love it or hate it. I'm in the love it camp. That came out in 1982. Um, like, you know, same idea of like Greasers and Pink Ladies, but ultimately a completely different film. So it's like I don't even equate them as like a sequel. They bring Frenchie yeah. back as kind of a, and a few of the main characters as a tie over or like the 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 principal and the coach. Um but I have a good time with that one. Uh, so also the outsiders from 1983 is like a, maybe a more realistic uh, portrayal of greasers and socias, you know, that, you know, we watch it in Greece is like, Oh, they're all hot and this and that. But like in real life, it wasn't, it wasn't easy being a greaser. You weren't, it was very much a class thing and stuff like that. So I love the outsiders and, just one of my favorite stories ever um and then i put annie from 1982 because i was watching greece and annie at the same time (laughs) you know i know they didn't come out at the same time but i was watching them at the same time and they were both musicals and both colorful and singing and dancing and i loved it so there you have it they've nothing alike yeah i was (laughs) also a huge annie fan at that time of my life so yeah i feel young yeah yeah Mm-hmm. So my three are um, uh, first one is Dirty Dancing, uh, which was released in 1987. Reason I picked this is because it's yeah, it's another film that harks back to the 1950s, and you've probably got 60s, um, but close enough. 60s. 60s sorry, I do apologize. <laughs> That's all right. Um, and um, Patrick Swayze's performance is nothing like um, a depiction that um, John Travolta does in in Greece, but it's two actors who are good at dancing, good at singing, mm-hmm. kind of you know huffing showing off everything that they can do um and are, are absolute uh, absolute dream boats um mm. so so yeah dirty dancing for that reason yeah. um hairspray uh from 2007 yes. um john travolta uh, yes. another good performance uh in that film and um again it's also a it's also a musical and i can't does that go back to the 50s or is that 60s yeah as well? that's I, well yeah. actually wait i don't know hairspray as well 60s. sophia is that early 60s because the, yeah. the, the other 60s. thing is oh, like 
Yeah, but yeah. the early 60s have a lot in common with the 50s. So, like, culturally, yeah. it's a quite a similar thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And similar kind of things, similar kind of, you know, um, costume design and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but, yeah, a really good kind of, you know, uh, enjoyable watch as well. Uh, and the last one I put was um, Back to the Future. I know that definitely goes back to the 50s. <laughs> yeah. um, that goes yeah. back to 1955. And, um, yeah, there's just a few connections in there with, with Greece, you know, the kind of... Um, horny kids um <laughs> getting a bit handsy with the girls at times um and uh, and yeah just a lot of the pop culture references and um from from the time as well so um yeah another film that's some loose connections there yeah i like that i've never thought of the idea back to the future in greece together but they seem pretty natural to me actually now when you say it and also yeah. like dirty dancing like it's got a similar like um i guess like baby's not like a good girl she's a good girl in some she's ways to her girl. dad right uh-huh. and then patrick swayze's not really a bad boy but he's seen as a bad boy so they're right. it's another one of those like mismatch yeah. romance kind of deals and i think yeah. it's just another one of those films that you know you you watch when you're quite young and, and you're kind of you know the, you go and watch it in the, on the on the stage it's kind of always there and stuff you know and there's always kind of callbacks to it and it's quite a similar to greece in that way you know kind of like you know um rites of passage type movie you know yeah yeah that people will watch I feel it. I feel it. All right, Steve. Well, thank you so much for coming back to be on our um, the beginning of our new era of every rom-com now that I'm in my new job and my new city and everything. And thanks for being a part of that. And can you remind people again, the name of your podcast and like where to find you like on social media? Yeah, thank you so much. So it's, um, it's for me, these films are the juice. Um, so I have a Facebook page, which is um, the whole name of the podcast. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter as well um, at Films Are the Juice, and you can find it on um, Spotify, iTunes, and anywhere you listen to your um, to your podcasts. And Jen, thank you so much for for having me on again. It's been a it's been an absolute pleasure. It's lovely to to meet and speak with you for the first time, Sophia, as well. And Same. I can't wait to hear what um what you're going to be putting out there, Jen. Now that you're kind of set up in your new in your new location, so looking forward to hearing your future episodes. Yeah, and speaking of future episodes, we'll probably have uh, one. The next one will probably be on Valley Girl and followed by Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which uh, there's a reason for it, and it's a really immature reason. And if you're a really savvy listener, you'll figure out why. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, uh, yeah, and then we'll just keep carrying on. We'll keep going on with the podcast, and yeah, it's great to be back. So, yeah, thanks both of you. And goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.